That to me is the opposite of good, exciting, watchable rugby. No team is going to get away from one another. Yeah, it's going to be wet and miserable, but so is Connor. So is Connor generally wet and miserable. Wow. OTB AM live weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven, Friday morning. A very good morning to you, wherever it is you are at on this Friday morning. Delighted to have you along with us and we have a stack show coming your way. Tell you about that in a few moments' time. First of all, Owen, good morning to you. Good morning, Adrian. How are you getting on? Very well. You, you're a bit quieter around the office this morning. Are you a bit... Nerves kick in yet, or is it like... Yeah, t- well, not nerves, just pure terror. Anticipation. Terror? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, really? Of course it is, yeah. And what, like, what's the terror relative to uh, losing just another weekend of potential fear um, terror of Monday morning fear <laughs> Genu- genuinely is it is it a, a is it a fear like is it a, um, at this stage of the year obviously your thing is to get to the All-Ireland final day and then roll the dice and see how you go but at the minute given what's happened particularly last year that it's like Jesus we might, even, might not even get there yeah, absolutely. Like you'd be, they'd be doing well to get it, get out of this weekend. Ah, that sort of stuff. Is that, I'm not, like I'm not sure. You haven't even mentioned it. Are you, you're talking about the All Ireland Football Quarterfinals yeah. this weekend and Kerry against Mayo is yes, what you're correct. speaking about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's. I, th- I think maybe everybody who's involved th- this weekend, any of the fans going this weekend, they'll probably be nervous before their team plays. Do you get, do you get nervous before Westmead play? Um, not really. Not really. I get more nervous during the game, but oh, that's yeah, more that's to do with the fact that like you know, the Offaly game the other week is a is. Um, you wouldn't have got nervous about and that. A total outlier. Uh, not not too bad, yeah. Just given that awfully we're down a few players and stuff. But I'll be I'll be nervous around the Cavan game for sure. Um, but anyway, you're 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 deflecting here away from the you're burying the lead here for us on. Um, which is what? Which is about Kerry this weekend and your sense of apprehension about it. Is that is that based on? Are you just like that anyway, no matter who they're playing, or is it based on the fact that it's Mayo and who the hell knows? No, I wasn't apprehensive before the games against Limerick or Cork. But to be more apprehensive against Mayo because they're a better team. Mm. And Kerry got dumped out at the knockout stage the last couple of times they played. So, yeah, that would be the apprehension. <laughs> um, what, uh, I was looking at Tomasa Shea was doing a bit of a Q&A last night um, and a few interesting responses. But one of the things, I think somebody had asked him about Clifford. I can't remember the exact question. But he was saying that it feels like the players and everybody in and around the squad are a bit more tight-lipped that there's not as much news coming out, not as much injury stuff. Um, well, the rumour bill has been an absolute overdrive all week. Yeah, about Clifford. Um, but it's uh, about, every, about everything. There's all sorts of rumours. Uh, no, take your pick of any, any sort of potential rumour you could think about, any GA team. So tempted. It's been there. It's been uh, there. Uh, what's that? I'm so tempted just to start firing a load of stuff at you. Yeah, there's been rumours about everything, so I presume a lot of it is all nonsense. So that's I didn't see that part of the Q&A, so a bit of it there. But um, Is that the general good. sense down there that it's hard that's to good. get I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I have no idea where... Um, I've no idea where the little message that says forwarded that comes into my WhatsApp group is actually coming from. I've no idea if those are coming from the camp or if they're coming from uh, people who like have set up random pseudonyms on hoganstand.com or if it's a Kerry GEA forum or whatever. I don't know where any of this information comes from. So it's good to hear that um, somebody who's much better placed to, to tell you that information reckons that it's not coming from the camp. Any of the uh, forward, forwarded messages you can tell us what's going on that would... You know, aren't going it's to just it. all like random stuff like Clifford's in, Clifford's out, Clifford's out for the season, Clifford's got a dead leg, Clifford might play. Like, I don't think Jack O'Connor's interview this week did <laughs> no. shed any sort of light. No. I did, I did, I really, really appreciated the optimism from Radio Kerry at the time <laughs> and treating it being like good news for Kerry. Yeah, well, and when really? I looked at Cliff, I was like, Do you think, do you mm. know, one of the first thoughts that I had was looking at it was that 
like Jack O'Connor is a very smart man. He's been in management for a very long time. He understands he's he's understands the relationship with the media. The idea that he would be nervous when he gets unprepared or nervous when he gets asked a question like that to me seems unusual almost but just, well he wasn't unprepared for that question well exactly and maybe the response the, the tugging at the shirt the bit of a rub of the chin the slight shiftiness you know I, me reacting like this could uh, could cause a bit of a distraction here which might not be the worst thing for us yeah As I'm, in, I'm, not sure about, I'm not sure about a distraction I just think that he doesn't want to reveal the hand I don't think Kerry needed any need to create some sort of smoke screen um but yeah, like I, I think he just doesn't want to tell people whether or not Clifford's going to be available this weekend. There's a, a rumor in there, and he's like, "Let that exist away." I mean, yeah. like that, I, I'm not going to tr- clarify one bit because it'll it'll maybe assist Mayo's preparations if they know that Clifford's going to be there. Because after what happened last time, they'll probably have to have uh, a significant amount of their prep done on on Clifford. So, I, if if I like, I can absolutely see why he would want that um, that cloud to continue to hang over them because it makes absolutely no difference to their setup. I would suggest. If they, if we go with form, so doing away with the sort of, I don't know if you saw Joe and Nathan on the news round last night, but geez, between the two of them all, they were absolutely riling each other up to the point that I think they were both convinced at the end of the conversation that Mayo were going to win this weekend. Right, okay. Uh, which, based on form, is ludicrous. Based on form, it really shouldn't matter even whether, whether Clifford is either fully fit or even starts the game. But based on who on Mayo's form? Yeah. Mm. I guess the, the counter argument to that is that there just isn't any Mayo or any Kerry form to speak of. That's kind As of the thing. It's like you've got, a, you've got uh, average form against no form. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the issue here, and I think that's what is probably giving people a bit of hope. And also the fact is just the, the massive body of evidence that is in front of us that Mayo have been able to turn it on when they've needed to, and. Yes, part of that is a different era. It's like the 2016-2017 team. But also, I think they... like I mean, last year, they, they kind of felt like they turned it down where they need to. I think their performance in the second half of of Dublin alone was way better than their first half performance. Even within a game, they turned it on last year, let alone between two weekends. So I, I think that... I think that's why people... This, this isn't some sort of like uh, intangible um, worry that people would have about Mayo kind of showing up and giving a big performance today. There's like actual information that we've had and they're not too distant past that would suggest that they're well capable of doing that I thought Kerry were going to win it last year and it, I probably wouldn't have been alone in that and obviously Tyrone came out from the pack um, and I mean, there's a few contenders for that particular title this year that um, you know certainly on the Derry side it looks as if there's the path is open maybe for themselves or maybe for an Armagh um, to get to an Ireland final and who knows when you get that far um, was the disappointment was there a big disappointment about last year um, I mean in hindsight when you look at losing by what was in the end was it a point after extra time whatever it was to Tyrone point after extra nothing time, yeah. when you consider what they went on to do um, like is it tempered a bit by the fact that Tyrone were actually were actually a very good team and was the disappointment tempered in some way or that or is there just huge disappointment and a sense of geez, we got to get to put this right now um, I'm not. I'm not quite like. I don't think there was any tempering of anything. That was that was an unbelievably disappointing campaign for Kerry last year, wasn't it? Like, I mean, there were heavy favourites. Dublin had been knocked out. Yeah, there were heavier favourites as a result of that. I think that last year was was an easier All Ireland to win than this year would be if they were to go all the way. Like, so uh, that was not that it was an open door by any stretch of the imagination. But that Tyrone team had suffered COVID. They, their preparations were hampered a little bit and. Kerry didn't perform uh, as much as they would have liked on the day so when you underperform it's like a hugely disappointing thing at least if you kind of lose a 
a classic where you, you absolutely show up to 100%. I guess it maybe makes things a little bit easier, but... No, in isolation, that, that was a t- terrible conclusion to last season. Whoever comes through on that on the side of the draw, that side of the draw now is going to be seen as the, the you know, it's you're going to be uh, crowned champions here ultimately at the end of the year. Which is a dangerous place to be, I mean, given what happened last year, because it was a bit of the same stuff, wasn't there? When we all beat Dublin, it was like, oh, it's theirs to win now, and surely they got to go and grasp the thing, and obviously it fell asunder at the end, but like that is the power side of the draw. Yeah, and I think on the other side, what's really interesting is that when you, that other side of the draw gets to the final you'll have a team that have won back-to-back games in Croke Park. And I think that maybe that's a that's just something that we're kind of using to um, criticise all those four teams at the moment is, you know, just the getting used to Croke Park, winning in Croke Park multiple times in a season. Whoever gets to that final will have done it multiple times in a season. And I think that that weakness will have been taken away, especially with a team like uh, Derry. If they manage to find themselves in an All-Ireland final, I think they're probably the most dangerous on that side of the jaw. I'm not saying they're the best team on that side of the jaw necessarily, but they're the most dangerous in the final because they'll have proven to everybody, including themselves, they can win in Croke Park and that game plan wins in Croke, they can win in Croke Park. By the same token, though, I'm not sure if it will. So they, they could potentially be vulnerable this weekend to a bit of an upset. Significant Ooh. upset, I would say, Derry, I think. But, really? Uh, yeah, I'm not saying I would, I'm predicting Derry are going to win, but I think they're vulnerable to, um, to potentially losing this weekend. I'm not like Clare are a very good side as well. So, but I, I think that if Derry win this weekend, and if they got over a Galway or a Man a semi final, I think that's uh, unbelievable preparation for a final. So I don't actually think that it would be a situation where whoever comes through in that that strong side of the draw would be considered. Uh, it would be considered a tap in whatsoever, especially if Derry's on gets to the final on the other side. Kerry will win this weekend, won't they? Well, how much do you think? Just like look at you, you really don't know what may owe. It could be seven or eight points. I mean, it might also be tight, given that it, you know. Are you are they're, ruling they're, out the Mayo uh, winning possibility, are you? I wouldn't be going for Mayo, no. Am I ruling out that they could look at it? It is Mayo. It's, they're the most ludicrous team of all time in some ways, in that it's really hard to predict what's going to happen. And I don't want to be sort so of rushing your myself into there, a, like, I mean, Nathan versus Joe here. But like, on form, if you go with evidence of what we've seen over the last while, then I think it's got to be Kerry. I don't, like, what, the evidence of 80 days ago? Yeah, look at I know, and you look at Galway and um, the period of time that they have between games as well. You're punished nearly for winning the provincial final, but yeah, it's Kerry, isn't it? Uh, I mean, like you've you've run about uh, suggested why you can't come to the conclusion that Kerry are, are absolute bankers this weekend, and then said, "Oh, it's if, Kerry, isn't if, it?" If I was like, putting five down, be, I'd be going with Kerry. It should be, but like that's as, that's as far as you can go. I think saying it, it should be like they are favourites, yeah. and favourites should win every game. Uh, that they're favoured for but we all know that that rarely happens and on, there will be uh, an underdog that wins this weekend I'll settle for it should be that's as good as it's going to get I think on this morning we'll take it see what happens are you down there on Sunday? I'll be at Croke Park on Sunday yeah uh, so it's sold out is it? it's not no it won't be a sellout I don't think because right. it's it, just below 80,000 potentially uh, 7.41 Friday morning you're watching OTPAM and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and I mentioned we've got a stacked Friday show for you again this morning and that's exactly the case and as has been the case for the last number of weeks delighted to say Karen Duggan will join us in the line in a couple of moments time to look ahead to the Republic of Ireland against Georgia in Tbilisi on Monday uh, we're going to talk to Karen McCaig he's the Derry defender but not injured for most of the year a hip injury we'll uh, check up with him on that and get his preview obviously ahead of uh, the games and particularly with the Derry slant this weekend Will is going to join us for the quick 
picks. We have a leaderboard as well, and reliably informed, which I'm not sure is great news, but we do have a leaderboard, a uh, bit of a stock take as to who's leading the way and get into the picks for this weekend as well. Let you know what's happening on the back pages at 20 to 9 this morning. Uh, David Goff, uh, GEA referee, has uh, been chatting to us yesterday and covers a range of topics. We'll get into that at 10 to 9 this morning, and then a live crappy quiz where it's going to be Nathan versus Mick versus myself. I can't guarantee any quality, but there'll be loads of shouting. You're almost uh, assured of it. And then at half past nine, Keith Wood, uh, who was on the show uh, during the week, uh, will bring us uh, the rugby slot to see out the show this morning. So that's what's uh, going on. And uh, do keep the comments coming into us over the course of the morning. Now, I mentioned Karen Duggan is going to join us next to preview the Republic of Ireland's game against Georgia on Monday. Before that, Irish international Diane Caldwell speaking ahead of that World Cup qualifier was just so proud to watch the girls perform like that. And I think the team really showed what we're capable of. Um, terrific result against a team that obviously have now qualified for the World Cup automatically, number two in the world. Um, so, yeah, we showed as a team what we're capable of. But I think generally, as a team, we know we have another level to reach as well. Can I ask you a little bit about the, the competition in the squad, Diane, particularly in defence, like, you know, not just you, but a few of you have kind of been in and out of the starting team. Um, you know, it's obviously a big challenge. Like, does that just lift everything around you as well? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I think um, generally the Irish team have always had a really good uh, defensive line. Like we've always had a lot of competition for places since I can remember being here. Um, and of course, that that's what makes us so strong is that competition. And you need that all across the pitch, not just in the... Uh, defensive areas but all over um, and I think we're getting to that stage now where there is a really good healthy competition and, and every team needs that we need that to get to the next level That is Don Caldwell uh, from her press conference in Georgia during the week Karen Duggan former Ireland International former player of the year at International and uh, Women's National League level as well Karen good morning to you Morning How are you doing? Good um, so Ireland uh, against Georgia in Tbilisi on Monday it's the only qualifier of the window and then after that we'll have Finland and Slovakia to come Georgia played six scored none conceded 41 it's uh, I'm assuming there's no debate about the outcome here no there is absolutely not and um, we can take warning signs from the men and talk about how hot the weather will be and all that but there would be no excuse for anything other than a comprehensive win um, and I don't see it really going any other way yeah. uh, I think they have a pretty fit squad there's no threats to talk about from Georgia so it should be a banker of three points and just another three points on the board going into that more crucial window that you mentioned Finland and Slovakia one the, the hot weather was was one thing. One of the other excuses that we used for many of the men's teams over the international break, um, England as well as Ireland, was that sort of end of season sort of come down and you know try, trying to to get yourself back up for an international window. That that's not a, a danger at all, Karen, is it? No, I really don't think it is. Um, especially considering the the high ebb they would have been on after the the Sweden game, you would have thought that the girls would have been really looking forward to getting back into camp together because. They know that they're kind of building on something special now. Um, they had a, a nice, easy, friendly as well during the week. They got to rest players, got to try out new things. I think the purpose of this camp, as well as it being a warm weather camp, is more so building towards the, the Finland and Slovakia game and just getting contact with the players. I think Fira will be delighted getting that extra week that she got. Um, not many other 
internationally have gotten that. So um, it's really, really good from her perspective. The girls might think otherwise because they got one less week of a break. Um, a lot of the girls, particularly the English girls, but um, I don't really see any issues with it. I think that, like I said, the, the Slovakia game is the big one for me because they need to get used to getting good with playing with the ball and having a bit more possession. I think we struggled with them. Um, doing that the last time and I think again the Georgia game is just another opportunity to kind of bed down patterns of play and get more comfortable and more confident on the ball and and they should have 90 odd percent possession in order to practice I would think Yeah and it's a carryover game obviously from one that was cancelled earlier in the year which is the context to it What do you think like there's been so much conversation obviously about Vera Powell's tactics and maybe at times the conservative nature of them Given what we've just been talking about and the layoff for the England players, England base players um, particularly, do you think do they just go for it from the off, Vera? Given the um, Karen, given the quality of opposition that this team are are facing, yeah, I don't think there's any other way to approach it. I really don't see any point in like even. Like she'll keep with the same shape. I'm sure she'll still play the what she'll call a three five two. It seems to be more of a five. Um, oftentimes when we're playing against the better teams, um, but it'll be deployed higher up the pitch. I would like to see the only changes I would like to see is get more girls on the pitch. I think that once they establish their lead, I'd like her to make use of her subs earlier on. Um, I think that we've been fairly lucky in terms of injuries, apart from maybe Savannah McCarthy um, and Megan Campbell, but. It's it's always a risk, and you have to have a full squad in order to qualify for these major tournaments. You have to have someone who could possibly come on and change the game. Whereas when we've been substituting our striker, it's because we've had Heather Payne being run into the ground because she's had to cover 13, 14 kilometers chasing balls. So we want to see possibly what other people could offer up front in case there is a point against Slovakia that we do need to change things up. I'd like to see her use this as the opportunity to get more minutes into certain girls' legs, particularly be in the top half of the pitch, because I think defensively, you don't want to change that too much. There's been a lot of talk about changing the keeper, but I think since Courtney Brosnan has solidified that place, that the girls in front of her have looked more solid as well. So I don't think we'll be lo- the girls at the back will be tested, so I don't think there's any point in changing those. I think I'd like to see... Um, a bit more variety up front though. What's your gut feeling on what Powell will opt for assuming everybody's fit for September in attack? I think it'll it's it's hard to say I'd still like to see Katie in the more advanced position as opposed to that left wing back position um, but I don't really see it happen and I think that she'll stick with Heather Payne um, and Lucy Quinn kind of as the more advanced players Lucy maybe being more on the wing um, I don't really see her her changing too much because that would leave her open to us chatting about her a bit more. And mm. um, I think it's kind of a what's not broken, don't fix kind of a job at the moment, particularly considering we managed to score against Sweden, which no one would have predicted. So, so is there a door ajar at all this window for, for somebody to stake a claim for one of those positions? Or, or are you pretty certain that's how it's going to be in September? I'm pretty certain that's yeah. how it's going to be. I don't think... Um, too many people have been afforded a huge amount of opportunity. I'd like to see the likes of Leanne Keenan getting more game time when she's fit um, just because of how she was for Liverpool this year. She's been sticking balls in the back of the net. I'd like to see us um, have a creative player in midfield like Rachel Littlejohn because I think Denise's 
main strength is box to box. Um, I know we saw we she had a cracker for NC Courage during the week, and it, it was all over Twitter, and it was great to see. But um, her strength is she started that attack from a deep line position. I think that's her strength, box to box. I think um, having another attacking midfielder in there with her actually um, frees her up to to get the best out of her and do her her role best. Um, where she's not being relied on to do everything up top because I don't think that's her game. I think she's an out and out eight and she's so good at it. She's world class at it. So I'd like to see um, Megan Connolly sit in that six, Denise be in the eight and then potentially someone like Rusha um, in the 10 there or Katie, that's where I'd like to see her, um, where they can actually affect the game uh, and act put pressure on Slovakia. We can't afford to sit back against Slovakia because they actually do. They have enough, think they have enough quality to, to, like potentially threaten us. We know Finland do. So I'd like to see us be on the front foot against them. I think that was the difference against Finland. We saw from the first couple of minutes, Katie and Denise were pressing high. And then inevitably we started to to drop back. But if we can get more comfortable with that, and I think the players to do that are having Katie higher up, having the love of Russia, people who are just more comfortable in those positions as opposed to two deep line midfielders. You haven't mentioned Lily Ag, and she had uh, impressed in her debut, obviously during the week, albeit uh, just a friendly game. I, is there room for her in that setup, or where do you see her immediate future, Karen? Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't seen much of her play. Um, you know, she wouldn't have been in the top division last year, so I wouldn't have gotten to see her through the WSL. But to come in, it doesn't really matter the opposition to come in on your first international and make the impact that she did. She's surely staked a, a claim for a place in that centre mid position, particularly if we are saying that we're going to allow a bit more freedom to the, the centre midfielders um, because Megan Connolly can do that number six role by herself, particularly when we've got three centre-backs and three out centre backs behind her in um, Neve Fahey, Louise Quinn and Diane Caldwell. So I definitely think she's staked a claim. I haven't stopped. I'll talk to to, to see um, what it's looking like. I think possibly she'll get a run this week, given given how she's been talked about after the Philippines game. Um, but when it comes to Slovakia and to the Finland game, I think it will revert back and probably be someone like Jamie Finn just to kind of shore up that midfield and people that we're just used to seeing in those positions. Because a couple of creative players in those positions is almost a bit of a luxury against the better teams. Yeah, it is. Well, that's the Irish way. You know, we, we like to shore up the houses first and then maybe hitting the break or look at um, set pieces. And you could sit here and decide it and we'd, all love to see us playing big, expansive football and being on the front foot the whole time. But when after we beat Georgia, which we assume we will, when you're essentially two games away from the first playoff in I don't know how many years and you're potentially qualifying for your first ever World Cup, um, I understand the little bit of reservation and opening yourself up at, at this stage of the qualifying campaign. If we were to have done it at the very beginning of the campaign and said that this is our style of play, you'd have said, OK, here's trying something new. We understand that she's building for the Euros. But now that there's the more of hope that we will qualify for the World Cup, um, I wouldn't blame Vera for that more conservative approach. 
Yeah, it'll all in hindsight look that all made sense. That's that's totally fine, and um, you know maybe we tweak it up for the next campaign. But on this one, before we before we leave it, Finland, Slovakia, and Ireland obviously fighting it out for that second place in uh, and that playoff spot. Finland coming to Dublin in September, and then um, they have Sweden at home. After that, we'll be hoping a fee- for a favour, obviously from the Swedes, and then Slovakia will be in Tbilisi, where you seem to get the job done, and then they'll host us on the final day. With all that in the mixer, Karen, and the performances and the results that you've seen in the group so far if you were being totally dispassionate about it are Ireland favourites to take that second position? There um, there because Slovakia did us a massive favour by taking points off Finland I think that Finland were shell-shocked when we went there and got the results um, I think they will be out for blood against us but I think that that's a game where again we'll set up like we did against Sweden we will look to not lose that game and I think we're very good at doing that I think that um, with the players we have, we're, we're well set up to do that. Um, so then I think it's about just going and beating Slovakia. And that's, that's my only little worry. That's a game where we will have a little bit more possession. And we underestimated them a little bit when they came to Tala. I thought that they were very impressive on the ball. They were technically better than I expected them to be. And we were lucky to get away with a point in that one. So I think it'll go both ways. I think Finland will be out for blood, but it'll kind of suit us because we'll sit back we'll soak up the pressure and we should be able to hit them on the break. And then conversely against Slovakia, I think that we should have a point to prove because the girls did come in for a bit of criticism after that game. We didn't expect um, not to take all three points at home to to them. Um, so I really think that it is in our hands. Um, and I think that the kind of second in our favour at the moment I know you asked for an unbiased opinion, but um, I'm <laughs> not really able to give one. <laughs> I'm really very hopeful. Um, you have often spoken and you have already about um, Katie McCabe and your wish to see her playing a bit further up the pitch particularly, particularly against maybe some of the weaker teams Fergus Keogh was in touch this morning and he asks uh, does McCabe not play left back for Arsenal leave people play in their club positions he says she's been deployed at left back she's been deployed at left wing um, they've been quite fluid there she's been higher up the pitch when she's come on later in the season Um we don't have the players to afford to play players in positions like that. Um, that's the same with the men's team. You have to, to chop and change. We have a world-class player in Katie McCabe. We need her in addition where we can get her on the ball. She can affect the game most. If we want to sit back and defend, yes, we, we can play her in that left-back position and she'll help soak up the pressure and she'll play in tackles and she'll play that wholehearted kind of left-back position that we see for her club. But when she's given freedom to move in the field and affect play and link up with the strikers, she tends to score. And that's something as an Irish team we don't have a lot of. So, yeah, you can argue that people should play in their their club positions, but that's well and good when you've got a wealth of talent and a pool that's world class and everyone's playing it at the same level as Katie McCabe, but they're they're simply not. She's a cut above herself and probably Denise at this point are a cut above the rest. So um I understand the argument but I'd have to disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anybody who's been paying any attention to anything you've said over the last couple of years uh, would not be a bit surprised by that. Karen, we look forward to the game on Monday. We'll catch up with you again next week. Thanks million. Thanks million. Thanks a lot, Karen Duggan on the line there, looking ahead to the Georgia game on Monday. Uh, you are watching OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. A few comments come into us on the back of our chat off the top of the show. Owen, Brian Kennedy, wondering if the talk of Mayo's poor form is doing a disservice to Kildare and Monaghan. It's not like they've been struggling against uh, D4 teams. Division 4. Division 4. <laughs> Both would have been reasonably fancied at the start of the year. That is actually a fair enough point. Yeah, it is. And it's different to some of the... Uh, 
the quality of teams that even if you look back to 2017 that they would have struggled against like I think they needed extra time against both Derry and against Cork that year you'd have to say that the current version of um, Monaghan and Kildare are much better teams than that especially the win against Monaghan it was just that they looked out against Kildare and I think maybe like you've got two options you can either judge it on the bit where Mayo looked like they were going to get knocked out by Kildare or you can judge it on the bit where Mayo did this Mayo thing where they fought back from the dead and they showed up like zombies uh, in the winner's enclosure at the end of that game so that that's kind of the the situation that you, that you that you find yourself in when you're trying to predict what Mayo will show up this weekend because there are two very different versions of Mayo that we saw in Croke Park that day I thought anyway because like yes they were bad for a lot of that game but they had to be really good to arrest the what was it the five point deficit late in that game so they have shown that they can turn it on at certain points this year and I'd be even more encouraged by the fact that their purple patch came late in the game because that would say to me that's like muscle memory that's fitness. They're the sort of things that you can kind of cling to when you're trying to, to hope that they can turn it on this weekend. That I, I think they underperformed in the first 50-odd minutes of that game as opposed to overperforming in the last 20. Uh, JP Wright, voice actor, uh, as he points out on his YouTube handle. Kildare were by far the better team versus Mayo, which is really the point that you're making. They really exposed the Mayo defensive frailties, but lost concentration for the last 10 minutes. Kerry won't make the same mistake. Like We wouldn't be giving Kildare much of a shake if they were into that fixture against Kerry this weekend. But like you say, um, it's the most Mayo conversation of all time. Nobody really knows anything could happen. That's the, the jeopardy of playing against Mayo. It, I will say that the conversation has changed as the week has gone on. Hasn't it? Like it, yeah. it, it, at the start of the weekend, when the draw was initially made, it was like Mayo have no hope here. So I'm, I'm glad that people have woken up to the fact that this is Mayo. Like I, I, it was just amusing that people were very quick to to write this off as just a particular. My my issue with this was categorizing this game in the the same breath as Derry against Clare and Dublin against Cork. Mm. Like I know I said earlier on that there was a chance that you know Derry in a massive game of Croke Park Clare could do something this weekend, um, but I still think Derry will win. I, I still think Dublin will win. I, I just don't think Kerry Mayo is in the same conversation as that. I think it's far more uncertain than those two games. Mm. The outcome is yeah, 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 yeah. And even even if you know Kerry are five or six points ahead after twenty minutes, nobody will be resting easy until the. Uh no, you've got to... Yeah, the stake is in the heart. You get to, to like 15, 16 points and then you can start to... <laughs> Relax. And even, then, it's, even oof, then, it's still Mayo. Uh, no other team would have beaten Kerry last year, only Tyrone, says Porrick Farley in, in Cavan. Oh, I think Jesus, I think the uh, yeah no I think the I I like it's hard to know I think the feeling around that at half time even last year in that Tyrone game was that Mayo would have beaten Kerry in that final. But then when you saw Mayo in the final, you're like, well, Kerry would have beaten that Mayo team in the final. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So Kerry felt like the third best team left in the competition during that game against Toronto last year because they were so bad. Um, but then Mayo were also quite bad in the final. So maybe Kerry would have won that all around had they beaten Toronto. Injured Derry footballer uh, Carl McCaig joins us on the line. Good morning to you, Carl. Good morning. Thanks a million for jumping on. I don't know if you've been following any of that conversation. We'll come to you, Derry, in a minute. But uh, Mayo and the fact that they're, you don't know what the hell you're getting and they're never beaten. No, definitely not. Um, probably for the first 50 minutes of that game against Kildare, I thought they were gone. They didn't show any signs of probably winning that game, but typical Mayo, they knuckled down. They pulled a big performance in Croke Park. Um, now it's definitely not going to be enough to take over the line against Kerry, but there's probably a big shock in that game. still think Kerry will do it, but I think Mayo can bring a lot to it. Yeah, and even within a game, you just don't know what's happening. The, you're you're out injured, and the timing of it has been awful in the context of um, Derry's run. Obviously, a hip injury. How is it, Carl? I that's one of those things you just have to try and manage. Um, back doing a wee bit of stuff for the club at the moment. Uh, hopefully, get a, an operation off season, and whether that's enough to allow me to play county again next year remains to be seen. But 
I'll give it every chance for the rehab and up and we'll just see how it goes. What's involved is it is it um, get the surgery and and there's some obviously rehab post that and you're getting back to play. Like, is there are you concerned that you might never get back for Derry or is it just a matter of time? Uh, well, suppose now you know at my age I'll be thirty in the summer. Um, unfortunately, I've had a major injury before with the Celtic back in twenty twenty, so I was only really get back from that. So it's a lot of time lost for county football. Um, so you know it's always going to take away a wee bit of your athleticism, but we'll just see how it goes. I'm not you know get too hasty on it now, um, see how the rehab goes and how I feel after it and make a call on it that. Have you been, when you've been watching the games this year, you must have been like, this is exactly what you've done all during your careers to get yourself to a position where Derry have been competitive and you can be part of that. I'm sure you've delighted in the success, obviously, um, your teammates and your family and stuff like that, but you must be, there must be a part of you going, jeez. Oh, it's, it's hard not to feel a wee bit of envy, but then I suppose when you're playing with them lads for a long time, both club back duty players, you do feel very happy. You know, I was the first man on the pitch uh, in Clunas when they won, and couldn't be happier for the players and, and management group, and definitely no no hard feelings, although it's, it's sad we missed out on it, but you, you couldn't not wish them all the best. What happens when an injury like that happens? Is it a situation where you make a decision to, to kind of not be around the camp at all all year just to try and get yourself right? Or or do you pop in, have a chat with the lads, show up to sessions even though you're obviously not going to be talking off? No, like I said to Rory, because I'd missed so much time there the previous year with the Achilles that I didn't want to be sort of up and around rehab and gym and not really partaking in training for another whatever number of months. So I just thought at that point it was the best decision to step away try and just get myself right and do it in my own sort of environment rather than sort of being like a, a spare wheel um, if you want around the dairy setup so I think it was probably the best one headspace and probably the squad as well just to do it that way When that happens in February did you know that you were onto something special this year at that point in the season? Okay, I'll be lying if I said I thought there, I was going to go maybe as good as it has went um, did I think there was potential for it? Yes the setup probably over the last few years now has been top class you can see that you know, it's taken Rory a wee while to get to this point, but there's always been a clear plan to get to there. Um, and I suppose now it's 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 maybe come earlier than expected, but I do think Derek can keep on that sort of journey now for a good while as long as we keep Rory at the helm through younger players which are in the county at the moment. So Derry football's in a really good place. He, he seems to have been a, a huge, huge part of, of this all, which is obviously stating the, the bloody obvious. But at what point do you realise that what Rory Gallagher was bringing to proceedings was something a bit different, was something that would elevate you to a higher level? I suppose there's two things. Firstly, you're just looking at him from a tactical point of view. He's second and none. Certainly nobody that I've ever been under before had that level of tactical noise. Um, and then secondly, what he demands is playing group. So before you would have thought you were a county player just by maybe turning up your three or four times a week. He demands that wee bit more, whether it's extra video nights, whether it's extra S&C. Peter Hughes was brought in as a, uh, an S&C coach and he's basically full-time. He can come to your own house and your own gym if you want to do an extra session. So it's just that extra level of professionalism that Rory's brought to it. It really probably has elevated dairy to the next level. Which is obviously really important in the context of the last couple of years and how teams have used the years away from the pitch so that SNC bit is obviously something that really worked probably double for Derry over the last little while having not played as, as many games as he would have been used to I think so um, lockdown probably came at a very good time for Derry that's been documented well before um, you know the, the level of athleticism that's needed to try and bridge that gap with Kerry Mio Dublin was massive and I think Derry and I are probably getting very very close to that if, they're not ready at that level. You know, you can see in their game so far, I thought probably for large parts of the Throne game, they'd run Throne off the pitch. 
Monaghan really struggled to deal with their athleticism, so hopefully now they can keep it at that level and push on to say that very, very elite with them top two or three teams. Did you always know that that was the, the missing part, Carl, or at least a, a significant part of the, the, the missing bit, the, the, the fitness and the strength and conditioning? Or is it only something that when the changes happen, you realise, ah, right, okay, that's what we were missing all along? Um, you know, it's it's not always going to be the be, be the be all and end all. But I'm saying that if you don't have that, I don't think you have any chance whatsoever. You know, you're going to need more than just pure athleticism to compete at the top. You're going to need that football ability. You're going to need good management set up with tactical ability. Um, and I say, you know, Derry, I've, I've got that already with Rory and Kieran and, and Enda. But I say, it's just getting that playing grip to that next level of athleticism that's really going to give you that platform to compete with the likes of Dublin and Kerry. Do you chat to Chrissy on a week like this, or, or are you told to, you know, no questions? Oh, no, like, as I say, from being involved myself, you sort of know the crack. You don't want to be spreading sort of unhoused things out. So I wouldn't even, you know, ask him too much about the setup or, or who's going to be playing or who's going to be marking who. But I sort of have a fair idea what way it's going to line up on, on Saturday. The Pat Nolan in the Irish Mirror, his piece started by saying there were only three people that referred to Chrissy McCaig as Christopher, his parents and Rory Gallagher. Why don't you defer to him as Christopher? <laughs> Uh, he's actually left me out I probably would maybe just you instead of Christopher but <laughs> I, as I say it's a, it's a testament probably to the relationship between the two at the moment Why has he had such a good season in your view? Who Christopher or Rory? Uh, Christopher or Chrissy uh, whichever way you want to refer uh, to him um, I suppose you know, you know if you're playing the full back lane you do have to win the top of your game you know, athletically and even from a concentration point of view but even probably the way Derry are set up, yes, there's been a lot made that they get everybody behind the ball, but there's more to it than that. You know, it's getting to a certain zone. It's knowing what players are going to pull the trigger. And I say, if you're man-to-man on a, on a marquee forward and you know all them all things are being taken care of with your defensive structure, it does make it a bit easier not to take away from the, the individual job. But I think, you know, once you get that confidence and the setup that you're playing in, that you can just go and concentrate so on a good forward. And that does make that job an awful lot easier. Mm. It's like he's, uh, he really seems to kind of revel in the art of the man-to-man encounter and like we're, I was kind of chatting to him in Croke Park a few weeks ago after the, the Ulster final win and he just revels in this idea of keeping a man scoreless and it, like it is in the back of his head that McCurry got a couple of scores off him in the Tyrone game which is just that co- competitive instinct it, like what makes him such a, a great marker um, Carl for, from your own experience? Uh, well, probably like you, like you say there, the mindset to just go out with that absolute attitude that I don't want this man to touch the ball. Um, mm. I suppose you know you have to be physically in a position to do that as well. So you know he's he is probably getting on a wee bit now. He'll not like me for saying that, but in saying that, he takes care of himself pretty well. Um, and I say I think probably the main thing is that mindset. He just goes out. He doesn't want whether it's going to be McCurry or Patrick Beardy to touch the ball. He definitely doesn't want them to get a shot away or score. So just having that drilled into your psyche, I think, goes a long way to try and nullify them players. Well, that's interesting, that bit. I, you don't want them to touch the ball because it does feel that there's, not a disagreement, but I feel there's like two different schools of defending. That one, you just stop your man getting the ball full stop. You defend in front of your man and, and that's it. Maybe get one of your arms in. The other school is, you know, let them have the ball and then guard them, keep them outside, don't let them into the, to the scoring zone. So is that his mentality? Is that the, the Derry way or, or what, what in forms that you know get to the ball first before the man well I think if you're playing the full back line generally speaking you know the top forwards aren't going to come out too far beyond 30-35 yards and I think whenever the, the, the top class forwards get the ball in their hands in that position you think of Clifford you think of O'Callaghan as soon as the ball is in their hands it's very very difficult to do anything about it 
Um, it's maybe different if you're playing a wee bit further out, maybe marking a centre half forward or a wing half forward. But if you're marking a, an unstayed man, he gets his hands in the ball anywhere around probably 35, 40 yards. That's maybe as good as a score. So I think, you know, trying to stop it at source and not let them actually get in possession goes a long way to stop them getting that score. Um, just to touch back on something you mentioned earlier, Carl, just about um, Rory's approach, and uh, I watched back a little bit of his appearance on the football pod. It was sort of the back end of last year, and he was talking about that whole thing of you mentioned about trying to get the best out of players. He was saying the tactics are important, but you have to be impro- improving players, as in he was seeing that as the most important thing. He said you want to empower them, and he said tactics are overrated, which uh, I found an interesting comment at the time, but more in the context of you saying that also, obviously, you're looking at zones, you're trying to get the, the ball into the uh, hands of the shooter. Um, where is the balance at for you, or, or is he underplaying the tactical side almost there? Um, like I say, Rory's uh, you know, not only a brilliant tactician, but see his hands-on coaching and his individual coaching is, is probably second on as well. Um, obviously, that's probably how he made his name as uh, a number two or a coach sort of at the very start of his career. So he's done a lot, a lot of work with players individually, getting them to see things that maybe they just wouldn't normally ever see. Um, you know, you can see the way Shane McWigan has played. He's had another, another sort of level to his game. Even if you look about, you know, some of the halfbacks, Connor Doherty was always seen as a midfielder or half forward. He's transformed into a brilliant halfback this season. So it's it's not only that tactical thing that, that is important. And as he's mentioned, it's the coaching side of things and getting the most out of players and maybe seeing that certain players have actually able to do bigger roles in other positions. That's just sort of opening their eyes to that and then trying to develop them into that sort of player. And the way he treats players almost, Carl, is that, am I reading too much into it or is that uh, an aspect of it as well? Um, like he treats players, you know, with a lot of respect. If you put in the work for him, he'll certainly honour you, he'll play you. Um, you know, he probably can be a wee bit of a harsh taskmaster master at times. He does want to get the most out of you and he will let you know if you're, you're sort of falling below the standards that he's uh, uh, you sort of expecting of you. Um, but you know he can have the crack too he's not sort of all fire and brimstone he's a good relationship with most of the players players sort of would do anything for him there at the moment and I think you can see that in the performances so overall it's a very good relationship he has He came across in the in that interview as well as if he was really gunning for uh, for Ulster this year is that something that you spoke about overly um, within the group? I will probably even I think when Rory came in a few years ago I think the goal at that point in time was try and get an Ulster Championship first. Obviously, the promotion from whatever division we were at the time, I think it was Division 3, was, was of vital importance. But I think, you know, to try and get Derry to that point where they're getting an Ulster Championship again, I say it's a long time since, since uh, 98. Um, and I think it was so important to try and get a wee bit of silverware, some sort of stepping stone, I say, to try and get to that very elite level, which is a wee bit above the Ulster Championship being, you know, the level of, of Derry, and, or sorry, Kerry and uh, Dublin. So he sits in a room and he says, lads, we're going to win Ulster. Is that what happens or how does that play out and what's the reaction? No, it probably wasn't as brash as that. He said, look, we have to be going for that sort of uh, sort of ambition. You know, at the moment, when he took over Derry, we're certainly nowhere near an Ulster title, probably maybe fourth, fifth, sixth on the pecking order. Um, but he did see that there was potential probably within the playing group. Yes, they need a lot of work. Yes, it probably need a lot of weeding out of certain players and characters. But he's sort of done that over the first few years, got the players he wanted involved. At that point, then, he can really start making developments with what he has. Um, and I suppose now is, we're, we're just seeing that. And this is his third season in. So it, it hasn't been overnight, but it's, it's certainly come pretty quick com- comparing you know, to what position they were in before he started. Did you, need, uh, did you need convincing of that? Or was that... 
the process that you're talking about there in terms of keeping some players and getting rid of others was that the thing that dealt with the ones that were on board with that notion were the ones that hung around or did you as a group need convincing that actually Jesus he might be right here uh, probably you, you know you thought you were training hard at that point in time until Rory came in and said what he was demanding you thought was that even possible but you soon find out it actually is uh, and I mentioned earlier, you know, he demands a lot from you, extra nights uh, during the week or whatever, and maybe an extra day at the weekend. And say so that naturally will just sort of weed out players that want to be involved, that truly want to be involved. Um, and I say he'd, he'd done that weeding out process. He got a core group of players that he wanted and that wanted to be there. And I say once you have that, you have everybody sort of rolling in one direction, that's when you can make real progress. Mm. You, and you have to believe, like that group that are there committing to that, like you have to believe that what he's saying is right and there is a carrot at the end there, you're not going to turn up. Like, it's already a huge commitment, isn't it, as an inter-county footballer, never mind an extra couple of days a week. Yeah, massively. And as I say, you know, you, you know, there probably was days at the start where you were questioning, is this all sort of worth it? Because you didn't see the results straight away. You know, like last year, Derry put on a huge sort of amount of training before the Donegal Championship game and everyone firmly believed they were going to win it. And that was a wee bit of a kick in the teeth not getting over the line that day. Think if there had been a qualifier uh, system last year, Derry could have went pretty far in it. But you know the fact was that there wasn't, and it was knockout that day. The season was over, but it just shows you the quality and the work that was done last year has actually carried through to this year because Derry have just went from strength to strength, and they've got over that sort of hurdle of getting a one in Ulster and have went on to one in Ulster championship. So it's definitely going the right direction. That, that Donegal game last year was quite interesting because I think for a lot of people on the outside looking in, it was like, okay, this team is is ready to compete at Championship because we'd seen the form in, in the league and it was like how are they actually going to match up against a team like Donegal and I know you lost on the day but it was like Jesus the, like there was a, a bounce of a ball and it could have gone differently and it could have been a Division 1 scalp in, in the Ulster Championship Yeah definitely uh, you know people say you know, Derry were competitive that day I would even say a step further Derry left that one behind them mm. you know if you look back and do the analysis you no, know, Roy done a wee bit of analysis before it left on that game I think Derry left maybe 2-8 or 2-9 you know easy enough scores behind and, and Donegal didn't I say it came down to that one wonder point from Paddy McBeardy at the end but I say Derry at that point probably should have been like six points to the good um, but in saying that although it was a loss you still get confidence from a, a more than competitive performance and it probably was a good sort of springboard for, for this 21 season to go on and, and kick on and, and, and do what they've, they've actually done How has Gallagher tapped into the countless family connections that exist within the squad like it's it's hard to think of a, another squad in Ireland that has more sets of brothers if we obviously throw yourself and, and, and Chrissy in there uh, as one of I think about six or seven sets of brothers in that squad I uh, that's, that's an interesting one I probably don't know the exact reason behind it but if you're if you're even looking at you know the radius of where all the dairy mm. certainly the starting 15 or, or 20 that play in most days it's all within a very small radius in, in South Derry probably about 10 miles or so outside of, of Mahara. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, South Derry is a, a, a Gaelic football stronghold. All brothers play for their clubs. You know, they want to push on and do well. And it just happened to be that, you know, at this point in time, there's a lot of very good, you know, brothers that are actually able to play county football um, and that they're all buying into it and they want to be there and, and they're, they're actually playing well under Rory. So it's an interesting one. I'm not sure the exact reason why, but that's, that's, it's an interesting one, surely. Uh, one commenter here on YouTube, Carl, says Derry Betclair, Handy and Ennis earlier in the league think it was close to a 10-point win it was 9 points and uh, they'll beat Clare tomorrow that does seem to be the consensus out there Aye, uh, you know if you look at the bookies odds I think Derry were 1-7 to seven. 
Um, and I think probably Rory done under V during the week. It, it summed up pretty well. If Derry play well, Derry will win. Um, I don't even think, you know, don't want to be disrespectful to Clare, but I don't, I don't even think Derry have to be at their very best one. I think, you know, Clare are going to struggle to score enough to give themselves a, a chance to win the game. I know Derry probably haven't been scoring a big amount of points, but they have been getting goals in, in every game. So I think, you know, they, they do have to be solid. I think Derry, if they keep you know a clean sheet, don't concede goals, they'll definitely win the game. Um, uh, and I suppose, you know, probably being you know four weeks out from that Donegal game doesn't help them. Might be a wee bit cagey at the start, but I do fully expect Derry to win the game. Who's Chrissy going to mark? Is it does he automatically look at like David Tuberty? Does does he automatically pick up the the marquee scoring forward? Uh it's probably going to be one of Tuberty or or Sexton. I would imagine mm. maybe it depends on who plays closest to goal. I would think. So he, himself and maybe Brendan Rodgers actually make a game time decision on on where the forward is positioned. Uh, I probably I think you have to be adaptable. You know, uh, if you look back to the Donegal game. Brandon played out with uh, Michael Murphy. I think if Michael Murphy had played inside, he maybe would have been on him as well. It's, it's hard to tell, but I think you have to be pretty fluid because teams will try and upset me but, and change personnel, but to try and upset sort of the, the system or, or where he used to be playing at. So a wee bit of flexibility is sort of expected, but probably one or two players, you're not going to be deviating outside of that. The the one um, kind of cautionary note that's been mentioned quite a lot around Derry is how does their style of play translate to Croke Park? Do you have any concerns about that at all? Um, yeah, I've heard a lot about this sort of Derry style of play. I don't think it's an awful lot different to probably what Kerry are doing this year under uh, Paddy Talley. You know, even Dublin most of the time probably defend with 14 or 15. Derry are doing no different. Um, I suppose what's... What's difficult is it's getting them breakaways all of the time. So you have to be conditioned to do that for 70 minutes. I think Derry are probably at that level where they can get close to that. I think maybe a wee bit concerning is, you know, probably from the subs bench, Derry have only been bringing on one or two players. And even players that have come off, like Benny Hare and Niall Tunner, have actually been coming back on a wee bit. So perhaps squad depth is maybe the only concern going down the stretch in a bigger, faster pitch like Crook. Um, but I do think that, you know, with the legs that they do have, that that counter-attacking sort of, you know, 15 behind the ball, breaking 10, you know, charging up the pitch at the one time is going to get them far in this championship. Can they win the All-Ireland? Um, I suppose, you, you know, you, you can't really make a call on that until you see them up against either Kerry or Dublin. So, you know, as I said before, Kerry and Dublin are that wee step ahead. Derry haven't played anybody of that calibre just yet. I know they've beat the Ireland champions Tyrone, but I don't see Tyrone just at that level. Um, so uh, you know it'll be it'll remain to be seen if, if Derry are lucky enough to get Clare and, and the winners of maybe Armagh or Galway and you get into a final. Who knows in a one-off game? You know, seeing with Tyrone last year. Um, but I don't think they'll be too far away. I think they'll at least be competitive. But whether it's enough just to beat them at the minute remains to be seen. There would never be a team that has been least uh, talked about before the championship started and uh, you know to go on no, nobody I mean you know, I'm sure that within the camp that was the talk that was going on but there wasn't anybody outside it saying predicting Derry to win it it'd be an incredible run No like, uh, people were even saying before the championship Derry have got an hour terrible draw in Ulster this year again they're going to have to you know beat Tyrone in the first round who seem to get in the first round nearly every other year and then after that you have to beat the two other Division 1 teams and uh, Donegal and Monon so nobody's seen it come on um there would have been confidence within the dairy group that they were definitely capable of doing it. Um, but the fact now that they've, they've beat Tyrone, they've beat 
two other division team, two, two other division one teams, has really given them that bit of confidence. And I think there is probably a level expectation now, which may be a wee bit more difficult to manage. But I think they're the, the playing group and the management group are well capable of, of dealing with that. Yeah, well, look, we'll have you on again to preview the semi-final, right? That's uh, that's our commitment this morning. Love it all. Good man. Thanks for enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Carl. Right. Carl McKay hey, along there, Bye-bye. looking ahead to the football at the weekend and the Derry particularly. Such an interesting story, isn't it? Like, and it's the the whole Schlock Neil connection. And as you say, the sets of brothers that are there, as he points out, the ten mile radius around Mahara, where it's there's what maybe one player I think from Derry City and maybe one other player from outside that radius, and that's sort of it. It's amazing how. Like I, it's I don't think it's ever really a coincidence. And actually, funny enough, I think people on YouTube are really trying to wind you up this morning. On but uh, awfully, eighty-two team says John Claffey uh, had a lot of brothers. Remember, that's the team that stopped Kerry with the five in a row. It is. It, I don't think it's ever a coincidence when you see family members uh, achieving to that high level because it's almost as if you're looking around and going, "Well, he was able to get onto that team. I can get onto that team." There's like when you see it happening in front of you, it becomes. Uh, a far more tangible thing than it does for the rest of us schleps. I'd say so, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, Tommy Welsh always talks about, like, uh, the vast array of cousins that they had. That was, yeah. like, that was the real sort of boot camp for uh, the Kilkenny hurlers, was the, the Welsh cousins uh, going hammer and tongs at it before um, in, in, their, in their childhood. So it, it's definitely a factor, for sure. And it's it's pretty cool that, that if they get all the way this year, there's going to be uh, a lot of Celtic crosses in the same household and stuff like that. And like it's in, what, what what I found really interesting is no one in Derry is getting carried away with themselves. Like I mean, what Carl said there is exactly what Chrissy McCaig said a few weeks ago in at that media event in Croke Park. Is that we're actually just not sure if we can be Kerry or Dublin at the moment. Uh-huh. Like it, there is a realistic uh, expectation that they have. But counter to that, there must just be this deep confidence that you know we were good enough to win Ulster, which means you're good enough to beat most of the best teams in the country. So, um, yeah, I think the mentality is in a is in a very sound place, and Gallagher's just done such a brilliant job. Like, I, I, I like I'm not a hundred percent sure they are going to beat Clare this weekend. You'd be confident that they will, and I just cannot wait to see Derry against either of, of Galway or Armagh oh, semi final. Derry Armagh, I have to say, I yeah. would be an absolute belter, wouldn't it? I mean. You know the 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 battle on the sideline apart from anything else. It's yeah, I, I I think both of those are good. Like I think that those Derry backs against those Galway forwards would be very very interesting as well. Um, so whatever whoever's going to come out of that Galway Armagh match is going to be an interesting prospect in in the semi final potentially the final as well. It's just that side of the draw is is brilliant. Oh, like to be honest, incredible. like that those four teams have kind of breathed a bit of fresh life into the championship this year, and it's it's been great. The, the, from within the camps and I've been told by the producer to um, park this and move on because we've the quick fix going and that's a fair point but one last point on it is that like within the camps they will of course say as in Galway, Armagh Derry, maybe Clare um, externally they will say oh, well listen you know any team that gets to a semi-final is a good team and look there's a bit of truth to that but geez, when you look at it avoiding the likes of Dublin or Mayo or Kerry and that side of the draw it's just it's wide open for whoever comes through there incredible because like teams can get through to the semi-finals like I mean obviously we had it with uh, Tipperary on a couple of occasions like the Covid years were weird but even in like 2016-17 wasn't it that they get to a semi-final um, then they kind of go up against Mayo and Mayo were expected to beat them whereas there is no traditional Mayo-Dublin um, Kerry Tyrone sort of team on that side so uh, it's it's just going to be novel it's going to be a novel All-Ireland final and it's going to be brilliant 
Yeah. Uh, right, oh, 25 past eight. Good morning to you, wherever it is you're at. You're watching OTBM on this Friday morning. Adrian and Owen with you until 10 this morning. And a reminder as well that Golf Weekly is heading to the beautiful Killeen Castle on Tuesday, July the 5th. Uh, Killeen Castle, described by host of Golf Weekly, Joe Malloy, is one of the finest parkland courses in the country. So you need no more recommendation than that. And we've got a brilliant day lined up on the 5th of July. It's going to be a Peter Laurie golf clinic from midday. We'll have a live podcast re- recording that evening. You'll have a few light bites after your round prizes up for grabs as well on the day and of course that round of golf at the brilliant clean castle golf weekly golf days are exclusive events for friends of the pod so you can't get there unless you're fully signed up to be a friend of the pod a golf weekly patron you can head along to otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly to find out exactly how to do all that uh, and in the meantime next up we're going to have the GA quick picks all Ireland quarterfinal special we'll see you back after these some of these critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Alright time for the Friday Quick Picks Will good morning to you Morning, lads. How are you getting on? Good. I think we have a leaderboard, so let's get straight into that. See exactly what's going on here. Look at this thing. Who, stats, stats, and stats on don't really mean anything. Fair play, Ashling. She's leading the way. Eighty percent of uh, correct predictions. Tommy's not far behind. Will is also, and then myself and Owen. How did this happen? What what went so badly over the last two weeks? I was like in second place there a while ago. What I thought I've had a couple of good weeks. What, what? I, I I I actually have had a couple of good weeks. My record was forty something the last time I see that leaderboard. What happened over the last couple of weeks, Will? What changed? To give refresh our memory. I'm not sure. I think we pretty much all went 100% last week, didn't we? With yeah. the four games, so that has to have helped. 80% sounds remarkably high uh, for Ashling. Is she just fishy like what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is, has she literally got everything correct the last few weeks and just kind of slowly but surely we weren't paying attention because we didn't have a scoreboard and didn't realise that she's not going to lay the park? Because Possibly. Like, to get four predictions out of every five correct seems really, really high at this stage. Well, to be fair, last year um, she was knocking out of the ballpark with her predictions left, right, and centre. She's pretty much continued. It's not a surprise to anybody that Ashing is top of the leaderboard, no. I suppose, is the point. But, um, uh, not, not so much the top of the leaderboard, more so just the margin of uh, lead currently. I can see us bringing back in things like predicting points and whatever else over the last couple of games. Uh, to try and keep this interesting yeah. into the final stretch otherwise she is going to run away with this I, I am interested to see which way we're going to go on these four games so we, I think we're all going one direction with the first game but let's not uh, get too far ahead of ourselves Derry Clare what have we got it's Derry across the board and um, Owen is probably the one that I've heard um, at all this week who's sounding a strong note of Hang on a second here. But there's going to be a lot, I think there's going to be a lot of hypocrisy in all of our arguments this this week. Like I, I do think that there is a bit of a, a recency bias to some of the teams that are coming through the quarterfinals. Or sorry, that came through round two of the qualifiers. I think that maybe we sometimes get carried away with like brilliant performances that have happened. Um, like for example, I think Armagh are very on brand right now because of what they did more recently than say Derry, uh, which was uh, their their ultra final was a few weeks uh, previous to that. But I just think. I don't know, I just think this thing's going to be more difficult for Derry than than we think. And I think that comes with the expectation, their favourites, to, to, to win a game this season. You know, it's a, it's a team that they're expected to beat uh, against a side that have won in Crow Park already this season that are a good team, that are another Division 2 team. It's two teams that are stuck in Division 2 again next year, going head-to-head. And I know Derry beat them well in the league this year, the only kind of form between these teams that we have. And, like, I have predicted Derry to win. 
Like I'm just, I'm absolutely watching this tomorrow with a with, with a sense of you know Claire could do something very very interesting in this. I'm, I'm not sure if they have the legs to go all the way with this this dairy team, but if the cliche about Claire down through the years has been Colum Collins has done this incredible job, then we have to have trust that Colum Collins will have a game plan to nullify Derry and to exploit Derry tomorrow. So um, I think that I, I think that this this is going to be a it, it, this is a, a dark horse for, for potentially one of the games of the weekend. Well. Yeah, I'm not going to be shaken from my belief that Derry are going to deliver. Like, I think you're talking about a lot of intangibles when one of the strongest arguments being made against Derry is this idea of, you know, how are Derry going to translate to playing at Crow Park? I was there the last time that they played in Crow Park, which was the Division 3 football final last year, and they ran riot at Crow Park. So I don't share that concern about Derry. Like, they've been very impressive so far. Appreciate Owen's point, too, that sometimes we look at the teams who've come through a couple of round of qualifiers in recent weeks, and we kind of put the provincial winners to the back of our mind to a little bit. But Derry have been so impressive in everything that they've done so far. You know, won pretty handsomely when the teams met in the league. I appreciate that was a few months ago now, and a lot has probably changed since. Clare will definitely come on from the way they finished that game against Roscommon. But if we're being deadly honest here, Roscommon absolutely s the togs towards the end of that game in the qualifiers and like they opened the door for Clare Clare took their chances and I'm sure they're going to come on from the experience of uh, winning that game and particularly getting a game at Crow Park and it's it's important we don't patronise Clare too like we said yeah. kind of outset of the year when they played against Limerick that there's this idea of you know aren't Clare doing very well you know to stay in Division 2 etc like they've been a consistent Division 2 team for quite some time now and there'd be the feeling that they want to kick on in the championship now and potentially get to a semi-final so I think it's perfectly understandable if Clare people have got expectation that they can go out there although I think it's very understandable that Derry are you know strong favourites going into this game and that's the reason we've backed them across the board isn't it? Can, can I ask if it was Ross Common against Derry today would we have a clean sweep for Derry? Yeah. I'm not sure I think there might have been a, a, a predictor or two we can call ourselves that uh, in there going for Ross Common like Claire beat that Ross Common team were good enough I know you, you are right Will they, they, there was a bit of a crumbling from Roscommon late on maybe Claire got the, the rubber of green a, a little bit late on but they still had to deliver on that they still had to, to be in that position to uh, to take advantage of a team that, that was crumbling a little bit so there, there's not a whole pile between Claire and Roscommon I, I think so that's why I've got that's why I've got really like big hopes for this as a, as a contest All you've done is tempered my um Prediction of what the score score difference will be. What do you think I, it's going to be? I, I, on the basis of what you're saying there, maybe a little bit tighter than I might have predicted initially, but maybe four or five points, maybe a little bit more. Possibly. Like Derry have been getting goals in games, and they've been getting early goals in games, and if they get an early goal yeah. uh, at the weekend and get early control of this game, I, I think that it would be very hard to see a different outcome other than a Derry win. And also a lot the of one things. thing is, go on, will Claire you? probably won't set up Adrian in a way that some of the teams have been counter-attacked by Derry. Like, I think Claire are going to be clever to not invite the counter press back onto them and Claire might actually play a little bit conservatively although it was interesting I was reading Eamon Fitzmaurice talking about the fact that maybe there might be merit in Claire at different times squeezing up the press particularly onto the Derry kick out to try and put pressure onto them so it's going to be an intriguing uh, tactical battle coming into this weekend this is the, the nice thing about having what feels like a relatively fresh matchup with the exception of them playing themselves playing each other in the league like it feels a while since these teams have played I know we'll talk about the wonderful familiarity of Kerry and Mayo in a little bit but that's one of the intriguing things about the tactical battle tomorrow is how far do Clare push up 
or do they stay conservative, full in the knowledge that Derry will love the idea of Clare committing players forward and space being left behind? Because exactly like Owen said, they have blitzkrieg teams on the counter-attack throughout the season so far. Yeah, Carl McCaig was going with Derry and for anybody who hasn't just watching us on demand and hasn't seen that, go and check it out over there. He's, uh, he's very good and I'm going with him. Dublin Cork is next up and... Um, Dublin across the board. This is I don't know if this is spent. We should spend a huge amount of time oh, talking about is, this, but this like, is, like Cork have had very little to be en route to get here. They <laughs> Colum outside is uh, producer Colum not happy with us. But listen, Shane, uh, I think in terms of genuine top ten teams to get there, like Limerick, and then the Louth game was only by four points. And if you do that whole Irish thing of Louth. Um, who Kildare obviously pull, pulled us under, who Dublin subsequently pulled us under. I don't think there's any discussion about this one, really, is there? Like, it's fortunate draws go, Adrian. They got the two teams who were promoted from Division 3 at home in the qualifiers together. Yeah. Are you an intake of breath, as in we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves here? or No, as in, like, I'm, it's very hard to <laughs> find something interesting yeah, yeah, to say yeah. about uh, Like, I mean, 20, 2019 was an interesting one. Like, I mean, this was... Um, how do, was it the football part referred to as a dead rubber in 2019? People forget this was the first game of the, the Super 8s in 2019 right. in, in Croke Park, mm-hmm. uh, Dublin against Cork. Like, this was the opening night, so Dublin had to show up and play well. And Cork got at them a little bit, and I accept that sounds stupid considering Dublin scored like five goals that night, but in the context of Dublin being infallible during those six years when they won all the All-Irelands, I think Cork got at them, and there is this like pig-headedness that we know that every Cork person has, and uh, it's the, the great thing about them. And what and, you're talking about, Owen? Uh, I, I'm, like, I am looking forward in, in kind of an exhibition way to seeing like um, Sherlock and O'Mahony, uh, assuming they're both playing and everybody's fit for Cork uh, in, in Croke Park this weekend, and seeing what they can do to that Dublin full back line that had questions asked of them during the league. And I, I do think that the caution around uh, anointing Dublin as All-Ireland champion so far is around that defence, so maybe we can get some questions answered about Dublin this weekend in terms of what they'll concede I, we won't we, we'll look at maybe right but they'll, but, con- they'll score enough to exactly. look, when, when we're predicting uh, when Dublin get through here and we're talking about previewing the semi-final we're not going to be basing any of it based on Cork really o- unless Cork show some frailties in the Dublin defence which is my point I think there's a yeah, chance okay. that maybe um, there, there is just more questions asked of the Dublin defence okay. but then again the, the Kildare full forward line should have been able to ask those questions uh, moving swiftly on Galway Armagh and let's see which way our predictions are predict that there's going to be a bit of a difference here now there is and it's only one way Tommy's gone for Galway and everybody else has gone for Armagh and look at I do think in terms of the finest margins between teams this is probably the one for me um, if we're saying Dublin, Dublin Cork is definitely going one direction I'm really not sure about this one but it's for me purely based on the fact that uh, Galway haven't really haven't obviously played a competitive game in a couple of months um, it's been a mad quirk of that you get badly punished for winning your provincial championship but a bit of a mad quirk of this setup but um, uh, in contrast the best thing to happen to Armagh was obviously losing to Donegal um, at the start of May a couple of weeks to regroup after that and then obviously bang at it against Tyrone and uh, they're very fit and um, they, they've they had their little circuitous route. They've had opportunities for retribution, obviously, um, all along the way. Listen to Kieran Donnie after the game the last day talking to Oshin. He was saying all the right things about, you know, where where they're at. Really complimentary, obviously, about the about Kieran McGinney. Uh And look, I I also think I think that that's a factor. You've got, you're in that Armagh side. You've got the two Kierans in your ear heading into that game because I do think a big part of it will be, you know, like it's pointed out in one of the papers this morning, it might be the star about Galway's shocking record at Croke Park. It might have been two wins from 17 games since the 2001 final. Like we mentioned about the factor of playing at Croke Park for across a few of these previews today. But it's for those reasons, Galway's in action, um, 
the two Kieran's in your ear from an Armagh point of view and like God we do have a bad record at Crow Park but you know I, I uh, for those reasons I'm leaning towards Armagh Will what are you thinking? Yeah you've probably sold a few of the arguments there before we even start but um, look it's hard not to be very impressed with the way that Armagh have played in recent weeks while Galway were sitting at home shining up the Nestor Cup and waiting for this fixture to come around. They're the only slight spoiler ahead of our chat about Kerry Mayo. They're the only provincial champion that I'm actually opposing against in the predictions today. And that's more so about Armagh than it is about Galway. I'm shocked that Tommy Rooney has not gone for Armagh because he has backed Armagh, I think, if whoever's in the stats for the board for pretty much every game we've had this year. And then he flips for Galway uh, once Armagh get back to Crow Park for an All Ireland quarterfinal, so it's um it's you know it's been remarkable from Armagh really. It feels like it's only a few weeks ago we were talking about you know difficult qualifier draws for them and potentially you know Kieran McGinley be under pressure, right. and then yeah. they've produced a couple of big performances now to get to a quarterfinal. I think they're coming with a real steam behind them. I think they're a very exciting team. I think Crow Park is going to suit them. As you say, Galway have got a horrific record at Crow Park, which even in recent memory uh, goes back to losing out to Roscommon in the Division Two League final only earlier this season. And I just yeah I think that. This Armagh team are moving really well and I fancy them to beat Galway at the weekend. But yeah, this is probably, with the exception of Kerry Mayo, which is also a very, very tight encounter, probably the toughest one to call for this weekend. I thought we were going to have a 50-50 split in this. I did too. I have to say, I thought it was going to be much tighter than that. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I guess maybe we're all getting sucked into the, to the recency bias that we talked about at the top of the show here, that Armagh's run through the qualifiers is affecting us, but we can't uh, forget that it's been really impressive, like beating Donegal, in my eyes, is more impressive than beating Roscommon, which also happened uh, a longer time ago. And that's not the entire basis of it. It's actually the, the third Kieran that I'd be putting my trust in this weekend and, and that Armagh defence and, and what they're doing under McKeever and uh, how they managed to lock up the, this this Galway defence, which is probably giving me a little bit of, of extra hope. That I would, I would have more hope in Armagh locking up Galway's forwards than vice versa and that's just why I'm going for, for Armagh like I'm not sure that's going to happen but it's it, it's something that maybe they've, they've shown over the last couple of weeks that defence can be uh, pretty watertight when it needs to be like they got to grips with, with Donegal after their purple patch early in, in, in that qualifier game and I still think early in that qualifier game everything was going over the bar for Donegal maybe Armagh were happy enough for them to be taking the shots from where they were taking them from they weren't necessarily in that traditional scoring zone and, and maybe Donegal were overachieving their, their expected points if you can use that phrase at that point so uh, I, I think that actually the, the Armagh defence is, is something that's that's been pretty impressive so far this year even though it's the, the attacking flair and the kick passing which has been the this, this stuff that's kind of wowed us all and the stuff that we, we've loved so much about watching this Armagh team all the way back to the, the first night of the league in Croke Park mm. I, th- I do think the idea of an Armagh Derry semi-final is an absolute cracker just everything that would be involved there um, would be would be a belter so let's go Armagh um, Mayo Kerry Will's already hinted at his uh, tip here Kerry across the board did you not say that you were you were opposing the provincial winners? Will I've obviously missed no, just pro- one. No, the only ah, one. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So carry across the board, um, and look at again. There's a case for Mayo here, but on form, um, Moylesy was on with the lads during the week. Will making the point that like uh, maybe Mayo are suited this Kerry team, and I think Owen was the one that said uh, tongue in cheek that they don't like it up them. But like the idea that you know you might get a few of those uh, Mayo defenders bombing on, like the few of those Lee Keegan pitching wedge points that are. You know, if we could pick out something that should deserve an award at the end of the season, the quality of some of those scores from where he's coming from and the manner of the execution is, um, they are sights to behold, but probably not enough, Will, to get the job done here on Sunday. I don't think so. But again, like from the start of the programme today, I would share Owen's concern, which is that 
Kerry could well come into this reasonably flat because of just the lack of championship action that they've had and the ease with which they won the Munster Championship, even though you know Cork frustrated them a little bit. It was such a comfortable win against Limerick. And then a long wait from last month to wait for this fixture to actually come around. And obviously, you know, we have to wait and see what's going to happen with David Clifford's fitness ahead of the game. We saw how, you know, Kerry dismantled a little bit when Clifford went off the pitch in the All-Ireland semi-final last year in the defeat against Tyrone. So there are question marks that obviously hang over Kerry. At the same time, you could look at the bank of work that Kerry have behind them this year, where they won the National Football League, where they look comfortable in the league final when they played against Mayo uh, the last time that they met. It's like it's hard to argue against what Kerry have done so far, but are they going to be a little bit rusty? And if they are, does that give Mayo an opportunity? The argument, I think, against Mayo is probably partly coming into the excitement that we've seen some so far in the qualifiers. Like the way that they, you know, really used up probably eight of their nine lives against Kildare in the last round of the qualifiers to actually get here. Like we salute the fact that Mayo were able to dig in and the exciting finish and the way that they won the game. But realistically, I think most teams left in the All-Ireland Championship would have put the foot in the neck when they were six points up in the way that Kildare were during that game. So again, you're talking about so many different intangibles and the idea of Mayo being great and their run through the back door and you know they can potentially beat anybody on their day. But you're talking about a Mayo team getting to a level to beat someone on their day if they're going to beat Kerry. I think Kerry have to be a little bit off it if Mayo are going to win as well. I agree with that last bit that uh, Will said and I, I think that's kind of a key reason why we're all going for Kerry here. It's we, we know that they can turn it on and they can be at their awesome best when everybody in that forward line is is firing and I guess in the context of this weekend fit if everybody in that carry forward line is fit we know what they can do but it's actually kind of the, the other side of the ball which is the most intriguing element for Kerry this year that there is this intangible mentality question around Kerry that existed last year choking against her own and we could debate this one way or another when we preview this weekend we won't know until Sunday afternoon if that's a, a true thing something that we do know for certain is that Kerry got undone by soft enough goals in that game against Tyrone last year. They got done in a soft goal against Cork the previous year. So it's not just a mentality thing, it is the concession of goals, which has absolutely um, sidetracked Kerry's chance at winning an All-Ireland over the last couple of years. You can even go back to the 2019 replay, the Merchant goal. Green flags have been Kerry's problem uh, in conceding over the last couple of years, as much as the mentality question. So if you dig into the numbers, there was actually signs of this happening last year in the Munster Championship. They played Clare, they played Tip, they played Cork in the Munster Championship last year. They hammered all three. You'll remember nothing about any of those games. But what I can tell you is that they conceded a goal in every single one of those games. And when they got to Croke Park against Tyrone, they ended up conceding three of them. And that was their championship done and dusted. This year, it probably feels like Kerry went through the Munster Championship in exactly the same way as last year. As in, beating everybody pretty healthily and put in front of them. The one difference, though, is that they didn't concede a single goal. That absolutely maintains when you compare last year's league to this year's league. 2021, they conceded six goals in just four league games. This year, they conceded just two goals in eight league games. So when you look at those numbers, you can absolutely make a case that Kerry are far harder to score goals against this season. And as a result, and this is stating the bloody obvious, is that they are far harder to beat this year than they were last year. And that's all you can judge it on. Statue I mean, to Paddy Talley up on the Dingle Peninsula when they to, get this uh, done. Is that Paddy, Ta- Paddy Talley. Then there is like I mean, then there's all the o- other kind of um, 
stuff that we can chat about and, and maybe maybe they will crumble on Sunday and all of a sudden that becomes front and centre it's not just about conceding goals it is where is where is his team's head at the, the other things you can't you can say to be fair like on the Mayo context is the, 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 the sway that players they were missing on league final day and we were going through this the other day Rob Henley Oshin Mullen Paddy Durkin Deirdre O'Connor Owen McLaughlin missing those players for a league final is the reason why they lost by such a huge amount Jordan Flynn coming off injured did not help Glean O'Connor not being Killian O'Connor that day just coming on for the last 15 minutes didn't help and as we've said, they are not going to leave Paul Jogohora one-on-one with David Clifford uh, if he plays and is fully fit this weekend either. So those are things that have that have changed considerably from a game that took place 80 days ago. Uh, let's not forget, over 80 days ago at this stage. So uh, I, 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 I think if you weigh up the, the, the measurables, Kerry still have the edge in this game, but, but it will be tight. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it, like I said earlier in the show, I, it's, it is literally, I, it, with Mayo, it is impossible to predict anything with any sort of certainty. With the other games, you can sort of say, well, we think if everything goes according to plan, it probably should go this way. But you're absolutely right. We could, they're, they're, uh, I, I think we're all uh, going for Kerry, obviously, so we're all expecting that's the way it goes. But none of us are going to be shocked if Mayo come through this by a couple of points. Like, that's the one... If Mayo were to win it, it'd be a couple of points. Kerry could end, end up winning it by a margin. I think that's probably would be my general summation on it. Um, and we will see. We'll update the leaderboard next year. Were we harsh on Cork earlier in the in the chat? Was it? No, I was just uh, sad not to see Cork colours in the quick picks. That was it, really. Yeah, it's no case. Though, I can't it? argue with yeah. any of it, but uh, very aesthetically pleasing match to look at would be my takeaway. Nice shade of red and blue. The high sparrow has spoken. That's it. Right all. Uh, quick picks for this week in the can. Thanks, Will. See you, lads. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Uh, all right, it is uh, gone a quarter to nine. You're watching OTP AM. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day, and it's time to get into the papers. For which there is no sting. Um, <laughs> no, there's no sting. <laughs> is that just, yeah. Um, OTBsports.com this morning is a range of stories up there. The OTB brief is up there. There's um, Keith Wood reflecting on uh, Brian O'Driscoll's impact on New Zealand uh, tour from a few years back as well. So lots of good stuff up there to check out. And across the back pages this morning, really dramatic photographs on the uh, front page of the sports section of the Irish Independent this morning. This is American artistic swimmer Anita Alvarez, who was saved from drowning by her coach after she fainted during a solo free final performance. Really dramatic Photographs there of an unusual story. Kerry and Mayo sweating on Clifford and O'Donoghue, or are they? Should be the sub-headline there. Colm Keyes writing inside. McElroy not going out to try and prove anything uh, to anyone. He's flying along on the PGA Tour and plenty still to say about the um, live tour off the back of it. Uh, the Irish Sun for you this morning. The buys from Brazil is a very Irish uh, twint, uh, tinted headline there. Premier race for Trio hotting up. This is... Um, Three relays for uh, Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison, and Rafinha, who are all being eyed up by a trio of division of the division's big guns. Arsenal and Chelsea basically are in the market for some. Gabriel Jesus drastically improved that Arsenal team. Uh, possibly it depends like where he plays like they've just signed Eddie Nketiah up to a new longish term contract so maybe he'll be playing in the number 9 next year and there's some questions about where Jesus wants to play like across that front 3 so I, th- I think he does improve Arsenal drastically improve I'm not sure but yeah I think if, like, if they manage to sign him if they manage to sign two from Jesus, Tielemans and Rafinha that will be a very, very good conclusion to the summer window. Yeah, the Jesus is sort of like, you actually don't really know, is a big part of it because he hasn't played consistent 
um, football for City over a period of time, it's difficult to tell. Yeah, yeah, he's been like he's done a, a like a, a very very good role for uh, Manchester City in terms of his work without the ball. And Pep loved him obviously, and it's just not not going to start now. Like the, if, if Haaland wasn't coming into Manchester City, chances are he might stay there and settle for his twenty games a season, twenty starts a season, or whatever it w- it would be, and he'd be happy enough. So that's what's pushed him away. I, I think he does. I think he's definitely definitely an improvement for Arsenal if he if he joins. The Irish Daily Mail this morning a cut above PGA Tour is a top tour in Sis McElroy after sizzling sixty two. This feels like a very last week headline uh, David Goff it's sad that more GA people do not feel comfortable about coming out we'll have an interview with David Goff upcoming for you in a few minutes time where we touch on uh, that and plenty more as well and Frankie Dettori's future in jeopardy writes Marcus Townend it's in a couple of the papers this morning um, he was basically bollocked out of it by the uh, John Gosden who's his chief employer um, about a meet a couple of weeks back and uh, the 51 year old Dettori has since not been booked for any rides and by all accounts from the quotes that are in the papers this morning from his agent can't get through to Gosden to uh, see exactly what the latest state of play for him is so uncertain times for him Joe Canning's uh, piece in the Irish Times always a good uh, read as is the case this morning about free takers and how they're taken for granted until they start missing and then everybody notices that's the Irish Times for you Uh, the Irish Daily Mirror Jesus Heist Jesus Heist I suppose (laughs) that's it yeah um, Gunners close in. Have a morning to you. It is pretty good, isn't it? Uh, Paul Brown inside there. Gunners close in on fifty million gab as Spurs pull out of the chase. And I thought that by coming out, others would follow on. They didn't, uh, says the referee, GA referee David Goff. So that's the story there. You've come back in the studio, Colm Wimbledon. What are you here for? Wimbledon. Wimbledon draws today. Yeah. Today and uh, the start on Monday, and it's going to be quite exciting because we have Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal seeded one and two, which means that all going well. If they win every match up to the final, they can meet in the final. Unlike in the French Open, where they met in the quarter final, and albeit that was a fantastic match, but it was the Tuesday night start of the second week, and then we were kind of deprived of a brilliant match, uh, pretty much right up until the end of that tournament. Well, in this case, we could see the the two greatest play in a showdown and it could be the last I know we said this at the French Open we're like this could be the last actual last time they play each other at a Grand Slam all going well they could both play each other at the final the big problem is they have a Matteo Berrettini shape in their way Berrettini won Queens for the second year in a row and is really dangerous and is probably if anyone at all is going to trouble Djokovic is Berrettini bear in mind Natal hasn't won a Wimbledon since 2010 it could be the greatest it feels a bit like our preview of the URC final last weekend this could be the greatest game of all time I mean, well, let's wait and see. Oh, no, it could be. Nadal Djokovic. Yeah. Even if it's on grass. And Djokovic it's not quite win. the Bulls versus the Stormers, I'll give you that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But we could be talking about it still. But, um, no, it'll be great. I mean, this is the first Wimbledon without Roger Federer since 1998, so that would be unusual. He got to the quarter-final last year, despite playing very little tennis up to that point, really, overall. Um, but it is a shame. It's a shame to be without him, but it's kind of exciting to have Nadal Djokovic 1 and 2. The reason is that the world number one, Daniel Medvedev, of course, isn't allowed to play with the Russians being Russians and Belarusians being banned from Wimbledon. So that includes Arena Sabalenka as one of the top women's players uh, from Belarus. She can't play. And neither can Andrei Rublev, another uh, top Russian player. And then you have world number two, or seeded number two, Alexander Zverev, who, of course, destroyed his ankle in the semi-final of the French Open against Nadal, where it's a guttural scream. That match was so close. Uh, was uh, approaching a tie-break in the second set. 
the first set was decided in a tie break he went over in his ankle and I thought oh well he's just gone over a bit awkwardly turns out he tore three ligaments in his ankle so he's going to be out for the foreseeable future so there's one and two and the men's gone which leaves Nadal and Djokovic but Berrettini for me would be the big threat Andy Murray's playing too so if he can get any bit of a run there it'll be brilliant great for the viewership and interest from the casual fans and then on the women's side you have the return of Serena Williams who is playing her first singles match uh, since last year's Wimbledon when she had to retire injured in the first round she's been playing doubles action uh, this week at Eastbourne with Anz Jobert who we found out uh, this week Adrian with Jenny Claffey Irish tennis, former Irish tennis player current tennis coach she beat Anz Jobert 6-love 6-love definitely a bit of that chat where she was like I mean she was saying it could, that could be me could have been her yeah could have been her absolutely so we have to listen to um, more of the, I mean we look forward to oh it's Wimbledon to much I mean it's Wimbledon, Wimbledon. I, I don't need to force anyone really really then Wimbledon's road I mean unless you're not into Wimbledon it's fair enough but it's a bit of a landmark event in the sporting calendar and we're back to full crowds as well for the first time since 2019 there was no Wimbledon in 2020 they were the only Grand Slam to have pandemic related insurance so they didn't bother with the mm. tournament that year and last year it was partial capacity I've never heard so much chat about pandemic related insurance than how Wimbledon patting themselves on the back for being amazing <laughs> yeah. at a bit of foresight. Yeah, well, good. Yeah. Well, good. Well, look, and I look forward to it, Colm. You've absolutely well. I hope, I hope there, you yeah. are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Will you be watching? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll be we'll texting you about the story. About it. No, that I have absolutely no doubt the about. The draw, anyway, is this morning, 10 a.m. for those interested. 10 a.m. And your thoughts to follow on Twitter, I'm sure, thereafter. We'll see. Depends on the draw. Uh, five to nine almost on this Friday morning watching OTB AM and we have a live crappy quiz coming your way as well by the way stay tuned for all of that and here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day one o'clock Catherine Switzer and OTB Gold live Friday night racing we'll be looking ahead to the derby this weekend uh, with Johnny and co Team 33 uh, League of Ireland legend is uh, John Caulfield at uh, four o'clock today and Keith Andrews meets Philly McMahon at six on OTB Gold and then Off the Ball live in your radio from seven as well don't forget as well follow Off the Ball across all of our social channels if you're watching us YouTube this morning. Good morning to you. Do leave us a comment but uh, much more importantly than any of that uh, hit like and subscribe as well and that will be awesome and you can also download the OTB Sports app for the very latest in content and analysis from OTB. Next up we're going to be chatting to the GA referee David Goff. He spoke to us this week as part of the Super Value Community Includes Everyone campaign. Super Value proud to support David who's a member of the LGBTIQ plus community as he continues to break down barriers in Gaelic games. Enjoy. OTB Alright, I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line now by Gaelic football referee David Goff as part of Super Values Community Includes Everyone campaign. It's now in its 13th year of supporting the GA All-Ireland Senior Football Championship and Super Value once again calling on each and every member of the GA communities across, across the country to do what they can to make their community more diverse and inclusive. David, how are you doing? Very well, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, William, for jumping on and for the patience in the background as well that nobody else will be aware of. So, so thanks, William, for all of that. How are you? Um, uh, a big game of the weekend, uh, nice media campaign, jumped into the middle of that. Pride is going on. It's uh, mayhem for you at the minute. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a pretty hectic week um, between getting the appointment, um, training with, with the Elite Championship referees um, on Tuesday night, preparing for the weekend, watching clips, meeting umpires, um, at this media campaign, which I'm, I'm totally devoted to, and I've put my myself fully behind with, with Super Value, leading into Pride on Saturday, and then of course um, culminating in Sunday. And if Sunday doesn't go right, well, everything else in the week in the build-up would be blamed uh, as a result of it. So you know, fingers crossed, uh, we're out there on Sunday evening doing the best we can and, and get safely across the line. What's involved in, like you just mentioned there, the Tuesday night session with the elite referees and the watching clips and stuff? What what's going on there? 
So we would arrive generally in Abbottstown around five, quarter past five. Um, if we need to uh, see the physio beforehand or get strapped up, we do that. We're on the pitch for five to six to start training at six with Dr. Aidan Brady, warm up a fairly intense set of uh, high intensity interval training sprints that last for about an hour, um, a cool down. Um, the training is um, literally hands on uh, head, bent over, gasping for air kind of, uh, putting us through our paces to make sure that we're able to cover the 11, 11.2, I believe, is the average kilometres we run now in a match inside in Croke Park on, on a championship day. That finishes up. We go in, have a quick meal together, and then it's upstairs for eight o'clock um, to be briefed by the referees committee and national match official managers um, in relation to clips for the previous couple of weekends. So maybe provincial finals and Tolshan Cup matches. Um, just teasing out little technicalities and rules, um, how decisions were made, um, communication, uh, game management. And there's a lot goes in into those seminars. But we're a very, very tight-knit bunch of 16 elite referees. And what I generally, what I really feel that refereeing within Gaelic football certainly is at the best and highest level it's ever been at. And has it has it room to go, David? Like, it's obviously one of these things that always crops up, and rightly or wrongly, there's a decision that goes in a game, no matter how much prep you've done, and suddenly the, the spotlight comes back in it. Has it, in terms of, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that point that it's probably at the highest it's ever been. Has it room to go? Oh, it, there's always room for improvement. Like any player that goes out onto the pitch, who knows that they're not going to have the perfect game. Referees are not going to have the perfect game. So they miss scores wide. They have incomplete passes, foul, miss tackles. We're not going to have the, 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 the perfect game either. The key for us is to get the big key game decisions right um, and to make sure that any sending off, carding, goal scoring or scoring opportunities that, you know, that, that they're dealt with properly. We don't want to be getting key game decisions wrong. But, but there is, there's always room for improvement in, in every game. But we're slowly getting there. I mean, it is at the, the finer end of the championship. You know, it is small little details, small things. Um, but we are in a good place at the moment. And I can't think of any high profile, you know, refereeing decision within the football championship over the last couple of weeks that has drawn any undue attention on, on, on refereeing during the summer. Has the black card helped tidy up some of that stuff in terms of the general culture of cynical fouling or... What's your view on that? Uh, absolutely. It, it has, um, it, and I, I, let me be specific about this, it has uh, cleaned up certain types of foul um, from our game, like the deliberate, deliberate body collide, the pull downs and the trips. They're, they're almost eradicated from, from the game. What we are now seeing, I suppose, is the cuter players and coaches and managers finding areas to still cynically foul that are not covered in the prescriptive language of the, of, of the rule. So in other words, we know that players are fouling cynically, but that our hands are tied because it does not fit the terminology or language of the rule. Therefore, we cannot give the black card or potentially in that goal scoring area, the black card and the penalty. So it, it still needs a tweaking. We need to move away from the language, the very prescriptive language of, oh, there are only three cynical fouls in Gaelic game and they're a trip, a pull down uh, and a body collide. We know that's not true. So we need to move away from that just to say any type of cynical play that's deemed cynical by the referee, well, that results in a black card and that results in a black card and a penalty if it's inside uh, a certain area and denies a goal-scoring opportunity. That makes total sense. Like, absolute sense. Now, like sense and the overall theme of democracy around the GA and all that sort of stuff, maybe 
don't always go together. But what you're what you're describing there, because we see it all the time, where a referee has to give out. Everybody knows you're giving out maybe a yellow card, you know, or maybe it's not quite warranted a yellow card, but maybe not. You know, it doesn't exactly fit the rules of a black card. Everybody, everybody knows it's the exact same intention, but you just can't deal with it in the way that you might, you might like. Absolutely. And we're now in a farcical situation in, in the GAA where if a player is coming into a goal-scoring opportunity, you're better off nearly to commit a red card infraction and give away the free if it's outside the, the um, penalty area uh, and get your red card rather than getting a black card and giving away a penalty. You know, which is a farcical situation that a a more serious foul receives a lesser lesser sanction, and uh, we need to move with the times and just eradicate that prescriptive language and just go back to saying any type of cynical play that that the referee does he deem cynical is a black card, and, and that's end of story. Just on, on the video clips that you mentioned as well, David. So, are you watching? Are they just like general clips for the room to say, "Here's how we're currently looking at this thing," or? either within that or separately, are you looking at any video clips from, for example, like Kerry Mayo games? And I, I know you won't be too specific in this chat and that's absolutely fine. But are you looking at specific video clips from teams from this season to see what you might sort of stuff you might be dealing with? No, absolutely not. So we would always deal with clips that have gone on um, previously in relation to we might be looking at a deliberate trip or what we deem to be rough play or how we're dealing with a body collide and what is a body collide or how we're dealing with head high tackles and where is the fine line between a yellow card and a red card. Certainly the GAA uh, um, or myself, and I don't think they should ever go down this road of, of preempting matches and doing video analysis of teams uh, before you go out. I firmly believe, like uh, being a teacher in September, that every child comes in with a clean slate into your classroom, that there's no hangover from the year before, mm. that both teams that I'll see on Sunday um, come out onto the field uh, with a fair and, and equitable opportunity to win that game without any preconceived ideas being landed in subconsciously for me. What about like the idea of, are you in contact with the teams at any point during the week or is that all on the day? No, I, I have no contact with the teams at all. I get to see the secretaries of the county boards 40 minutes before the match when they hand me in the team list. That is the only contact I have have with teams. Even at the, the toss of the coin, where you might often see referees talking to players beforehand. I would never speak to a player about how they should play a game like it. It would be completely egotistical of me to turn around and tell them how they should play Gaelic football. They just know it's David Goff. He's going to implement the rules that are that are set out, and that's it. And I don't like the idea of you know setting out your stall beforehand to the teams because it puts you in an awkward position that if what you have set out actually happens. Well, then your hands are tied and you don't want a captain of a team saying, you said to us at the start of the game that you were going to do X if you saw this and, and then you don't follow through on it. So, you know, leave them at it. They're, they're well capable of playing football and they don't need they don't need me to tell them what to do. The, the, the reason I was asking was Dahi Regan on our um, GA Late Night Twitter spaces last Sunday night was just talking about the idea of rugby where uh, and look at the uh, cross-sport comparisons, I'm sure at times makes you throw your eyes up to heaven, but that aspect of being able to communicate with the team in advance and say, okay, this week, you know, I'm going to be watching out for this, that and the other. Like that clarity, I know that players, rugby players would generally speak about like that clarity being important to them, being able to develop their game plan and stuff like that. But that's not your, you think, not appropriate for GA. No, I, I don't mind cross-sport cross, cross um, sport comparisons. We have a lot to learn, and particularly from the like of rugby, we have a huge amount to learn, and the way referees interact with, with, with players um, and, and, and managers. But sometimes it's lost in the fact that 
they're professionals and that is their their job that is what they are paid to do and they have um, um, exhaustive training and supports to make sure that what they're saying and what they're doing and the language they're using and the respect levels that are there uh, it's not the same in GA we're volunteers I'm sitting here in my office in, in my school in, in, in Inchicore. Like I, I work, you know, a good nine, to, maybe eight to five every day here in the school. So, I mean, that is my daily job. Refereeing is something I do on a voluntary basis uh, on behalf of the GA when I have the time. So, I, I mean, I don't see it just at the moment being in a place where, where, where that's possible just yet. Would it help if referees were professional? Um, if would help um, in so far as creating a professional body within the organisation. I don't know whether I'd like to go down the professional route. Um, I don't know. I feel, I certainly feel to a certain, uh, the GA does a huge amount to support us as elite panel referees and we do prepare ourselves as well as, as we possibly can. Would I like to be a professional referee? It'd be a nice, nice lifestyle. Um, but I'm not sure at this stage it's appropriate for the GA to be going down that route. Just as you were chatting there as well, another comment that came to mind was, I think it was Paddy Andrews on uh, on the football pod a few months back, and he was talking about, I can't remember, there was obviously must have been some sort of a controversial decision somewhere, but he was talking about, and you mentioned it, that's what triggered it off, that idea of respect between the referee and the player. And he was saying the thing that always worked best for him and and uh, was that idea that a foul was given and the referee would say, right, Paddy, that's given because, and everybody would move on. And the thing that used to drive him light was when a free would be given and the referee would be like, listen, uh, back off, free is given, let's carry on. What's your style? Are you uh, you, you there to communicate with them and let them know what's happening? Or what's oh, happening? I'm all for communication. I think it, that comes down to experience and game, game management. I understand from playing the game that if free was given, I'd like to know why it was given. And, and, and look, at you say you give your answer to a player and sometimes they um, might not like the answer they get. More often than not, they're not going to agree with it. But there's only one way you can you can give that answer there and then because the game needs to move on. So they have to respect, well, this is what he has seen. This is why he's given the free and just move on with it. There is no way that we're going to overturn a decision having seen it, linked it to a rule, blown a whistle, pointed the direction of the free, told the player what the, what the free is for, and then they're going to start arguing. I mean, I've done six things there in the space of a couple of seconds to uh, underpin the fact that I, I felt it, it's been a foul. So the mindset change there is just not going to happen. Where are you at now at this point of the week ahead of the game at the weekend? Do you start to get a bit nervous? Are you nice and relaxed? You're getting your prep done? Or yeah, where are you at in headspace? Yeah, I, I, a little bit nervous talking to a couple of the officials that I had, uh, that I will have, should I say, on the line on Sunday. Met them Tuesday night. I'll be meeting the umpires tonight to talk through a couple of clips from, from the seminar. We'll sit down and have a look, a bit of a discussion. Work out the logistics. Some people don't realise this, that, you know, we have to get to the venue ourselves. It's going to be a full uh, packed house in Crow Park. We have to work around the traffic management plan there. There's no buses or Garda escorts for us into the venue. So we work out our logistics and also our post-match meal, um, making sure everyone has their gear organised, um, just small things um, to make sure uh, the communication is open with any issues during the week. And um, just, you know, a light run uh, this evening, another light run tomorrow evening, and that's it for me, you know, nothing major. Um, obviously with pride it's thrown in the extra bit of pressure this week with the couple of media um, 
sort of commitments that I have. Um, I will go to the GPA breakfast uh, the morning of Pride and, and attend the start of the Pride March, but I'm not going to go down to the whole the whole Pride March uh, the day before a game. I, there's just too much um, excitement, nervousness, energy there, and I just want to be at home relaxing the day before a big game. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. Keep the focus on, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, we had Andy McEntee in, in studio last week. He was chatting, obviously, your fellow county man about um, been been gone from the job and there's been a lot made, obviously, about the abuse that he was getting and uh, he went into detail about the letters and the nature of them and the personal nature of them, I suppose. And you are on the record yourself previously about stuff, probably more on the pitch almost from the fans, David, that were unhappy with... Um, the there was the McManaman shoulder, obviously in 2016, and you'd spoken about that before as well. What's your experience of that? Are you is that something as a referee? Because obviously you tend to be that lightning rod for fans who are disgruntled for a lot of reasons that might be out of your control. But are you getting any? Um, is that something that you get in your gig? It, it, it's funny, like, and you're talking about Andy there. Well, I suppose it's not funny. It's it, it, it's just strange. Um, the comparison, um, because uh, I mean, no matter what decision I make, I'm going to manage to annoy one half the crowd there in the stadium um, on Sunday. Andy certainly would have had the support of his teammates um, around him and a county board and a county to, to to a greater extent. We generally don't have that. We don't have that support. And we're far too often put in the media spotlight for making a mistake we don't intend to make. And, and then we're, we are lambasted um, because of it. And like Andy... I would have suffered uh, on various occasions throughout my career, social media abuse, abuse from the stands and the letters that come to the house um, or, and sometimes to work. Um, and it, they're unsavoury, uh, they're unwarranted and they're unwelcome. And uh, I, I, when I heard Andy speak about his um, uh, and the players speak about, about the type of abuse that was thrown at him, and you kind of wonder to yourself, why would we do it? You know, only one manager is ever going to win the All-Ireland Football Championship in any year. We now have the Tolchin Cup, of course. That's going to be um, 32 other unsuccessful managers that didn't achieve glory uh, in the championship this year. They're not, you know, I mean, he was six years at the helm. He did a great job. And if his term has come to an end, it's come to an end. You don't need the vitriol and the abuse and, and, and the level of of um, language uh, that was thrown at him because, I mean, we go out, managers and, and, and in particular referees show our love of the game in the most difficult way possible. You know, and I would often say that as a referee. Like, I volunteer my time to referee at Gaelic Games. I get no thanks for it. Um, if I am on the back page of the Sunday Independent or Monday, should I say Monday um, Independent Monday morning, it's not because David Goff has done a good job, and people would say, "Oh, that fella always wants to be the limelight. He also wants to be. He always wants to be in the spotlight." I don't. If I'm in the spotlight because of refereeing, it's because I've done something wrong. Nobody's ever putting me on the back page saying David Goff is brilliant. No, it's David Goff has made a balls out of something. That's the only reason the spotlight is shone on us. So it's a very difficult position to, to be in, and I have huge empathy for Anthony and what he's, or Andy and what he's had to go through. Yeah, what um, Jesus sending stuff to the to the school to your workplace is another level of bonkers. Yeah, it's it's another another level of crazy, and you'd have to wonder how um, angry these people are to sit down, write a letter, find out where you work, post it to your work the next day, so they're getting up the next morning and still you know seething over something that perceived slight 
that, that I have done. And it, sometimes it, you'd have to wonder, what, what are they watching? I, I'm in front of maybe seven different cameras inside in Croke Park, 80,000 people. Do they really think I can afford to be biased against a team? Like everyone's going to be watching. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's laughable at times when you, when, you, when you boil it down to its simplistic terms. I asked Andy if there was like times where he just, he knows, he can tell the letter and he just crunches it up and put, put it in the bin. I think by and large he was saying that he would, he would read them. What about you? Yep, always would. They would. Um, they, they they haven't come to the home house in, in in my home in Dublin, but they certainly go to my parents' house, to the GA club at home, and, and to work. And um, I would always read them, um, but I would wait until my umpires, or at least my father, my brother, were in the house. My uncle, um, we'd probably uh, you know pour a glass of whiskey, sit down, and have a laugh over them. And that's the only way to deal with it. They wouldn't be read on my own. They'd be read with everyone. And we make light of them because that's the only thing you can do with them. Yeah, yeah, it's probably the right way to treat it. And sending out that message is no harm either. What, um, just the last one on that, just because you mentioned obviously about the media spotlight, is there anything that can be done about that? Is there, is there some way to, like, for, I don't know if you guys do an interview, post match is necessarily the right way to go about it either, but is there some way to head that off the past, do you think? Or? Yeah, interviews post-match are just not a thing. There's far too many emotions. Um, you're physically drained, mentally drained. Um, that's just a full week of build-up and then, you know, 70 or 80 minutes of the match beforehand. It's, it's not a good environment to be, you know, uh, approaching referees, particularly because we've only had one look at things. Um, sometimes, more often than not, we're going to get the decision right, but the day will come where, you know, he didn't get it right and now we're going to have to explain ourselves. So it's not a, it's not a good environment post-match. Um, I do feel maybe a greater awareness and understanding around the rules of the game would help this. Um, an awful lot of analysts, pundits, uh, media personnel actually don't know the rules of the game. So what we're implementing, actually, we might be implementing correctly. And it's a, it's a, an ignorance or a lack of knowledge of the rules that's caused confusion. So that would be a huge, huge thing. I, I really have felt for years that the GA needed to come together with RT and, you know, take a slot for 10 minutes or five minutes in the Sunday game and go through one or two rules every week so that people actually understand what the rule says and how it manifests itself on the field. Or get ahead of it, like after the game, if there's something controversial, whether like an email to various sports departments saying, listen, just, just so you know, in case this comes up, like that doesn't need to be coming from you, that can be coming from... Um, Absolutely. That could come from a match, match official's manager inside yeah. in Crow Park. But again, the danger is always there. At some stage, he's going to have to turn around and send the email saying, well, look, if this happened, he actually did get it wrong. You know, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a difficult yeah. position for, for, for Crow Park to put themselves in as well. Yeah, that's true. Come here, I did want to, given the context of the chat that we're having today, I did want to ask you about Nick McCarthy and like it felt like another staging post almost last week when he felt the need to make everybody publicly aware of his sexuality. It feels like, uh, certainly I know the point was made on our show last week, that it'd be great to be in a position where this doesn't need to happen, but at the same time, an important staging post. Absolutely. Isn't it fantastic? Now we're at the stage in the last two years where we've two rugby players coming out as, as, as bisexual and, and gay within, within Leinster rugby. And I, I think the, the environment is there now in the GAA um, for, for the same thing to happen for people if they feel they want to express their sexuality. That um, for the first time ever, 
Um, we have the GPA walking in Pride uh, on Saturday morning, and we're having allies from the 32 counties walk in Pride. And that's absolutely fantastic to see that happen. They're going to walk with Nguyen Erica and Erica Ulla, which are the the, um, the two LGBT um Defined clubs within within Gaelic games, one in Dublin and one in Belfast, and that's all coming together underneath the GA's uh, marching pride. And I think that's fantastic. And I hope, I hope that 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 news from last week inside in, in Leinster spurs on a bigger conversation within the GA and creates the environments where other people within within the Gaelic games community, particularly at inter county level, feel comfortable to come out within a safe environment and become those role models that young people are calling out for at the moment. Yeah. Okay, well, look, at having you front and centre uh, with chats like this, I think, helps as well. So, listen, thanks, Willie, for jumping on. All part of Super Values uh, community includes everyone. You can check out that hashtag uh, campaign. David Goff, best of luck of the weekend. Thanks, William. Thanks, Adrian. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Leash, was it? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. The rise for sale? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday, we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holds-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant has written an ominous letter to Croke Park, warning them of the grave consequences if they fail to open a cheesemonger in the stadium for Talton Cup final day. Those Cavanteers just won't be the same without a side of brie. Give it up for the Athlone Bone Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry. Good morning, Owen. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this. Which? The quiz. Absolutely. Great. Good to have you. Our next contestant... (laughs) Our next contestant can feel the championship in his bones. As a loyal Mayo fan, this weekend is what it's all about. Those cold, wet, windy February nights when he was at home in Dublin checking Mayo scores on Twitter are the memories he will take to his corporate box this weekend and to his 900 euro hotel room in the Croke Park Hotel afterwards. This is what the GEA is all about. It is, of course, to be the Bally Hornets, Nathan, Nate, Dog Murphy. You're welcome. Are you getting me into your corporate box zone? No. You're not <laughs> is it breaking news is it absolutely not no chance have you got one have you got a prawn sandwich set up for Sunday no I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy a prawn sandwich set up keep it real with the people mm, nice yeah I don't think they, would, do they do prawn sandwiches on quarter final weekend what's wrong with prawn sandwiches oh, they're, they're delicious Roy right. Keane just decided they, they were, I, they were prawn posh prawn sandwich is nice on some brown bread like you know you wouldn't be eating them in like you wouldn't be eating them in between two slices of white Brennan's sliced pan like but yeah you wouldn't get them in a deli a bit of mayo Um, what's that about mayo? (laughs) (laughs) just on high alert at the moment Um, and our final contestant today is the Greg Norman of OTB Trivia after an audacious attempt to bring a lucrative quiz to Thursday nights on the radio Phil the Power Egan is said to have referred to this man's backers as scary MFers give it up for APM angry producer Mick hi Owen um, you know, at some point I had to kind of like look for a rival quiz because I just wasn't being invited here. And, and, and it's not that not being invited that hurts. It's the fact that I listen in when I'm not invited and I hear such people as Arthur O'Dea uh, being treated as this kind of like second coming of Tiger Woods, uh, if you want to keep the golf analogy going, or, or like Phil Egan being the, you know, the, 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 the standard bearer. He, like, it's like Nicholas versus Woods or whatever. And... Hint, sit somebody quietly at home listening, crying, 
into his cornflakes at the idea of not even being remembered as the fact that I'm undefeated in this quiz. Uh, more wins than Arthur O'D. And uh, I don't PhD. know. PhD. Yeah. Absolutely. How many PhDs Just, do you have? That, look, PhDs don't win your crappy quizzes. So. Well, the saddest thing actually. about all that is Nathan thought you were talking about him right up to the end there, Mick. There's been there's been a lot of I think there's been a lot of um, unsettled moods going around OTB Towers recently because of the nice things that have just been said about Arthur Odie and and John Duggan. I'm not I problem with Arthur. So I'll, I'll beat Arthur the, in the quiz the any day. Cup of quizzes, was it, Matt? I think I, I think Nathan and Mick both quite um you know quite put out by this. It's his call. It it's, be the best. it's look, Arthur has done well for himself. He's coming through the ranks. Right, he's best. doing a good job. He's a, he's possibly even a pretender. But until he beats someone who's never been beaten in a quiz since 2016, then, you know, I don't think, he, I, I think he has to, he has questions to answer. As in real life, I'd also take a, happily take a win in the Talton Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Today could be that day. And as ever, the format is a classic crappy quiz with a series of questions and a range of themes and onto the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You can podcast a crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, a thumbs up would be great. You can send any questions you have then via postcard to crappy quiz quizmaster off the ball towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin 2. Round one is the boring questions round, never multiple choice. Adrian, it's 10 years ago this week since Ireland got creamed 60 nil by the All Blacks. In which city did that game take You've place? You've asked this question before and I've got the answer wrong. <laughs> we never recycle questions on the quiz. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think I need to go for Waikato. It's not Waikato. It's, it's Dunedin. It's not Dunedin. Auckland, third test. It's no? not Auckland. Okay. Wellington. It's not Wellington. Christchurch. It's not Christchurch. <laughs> um, well, uh, there's nowhere left. I go. No, no, no I go. No, hang on. Hamilton. 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 <laughs> uh, so you don't score there, Adrian. Nathan, a win this weekend would see the Clare footballers qualify for the All Ireland football semi-finals since the last time they won the Munster Championship. What year was that? Oh, that's so easy. 1992. <laughs> a really famous year, like. Yeah, I've heard of it. It's definitely got to know the answers. Have a guess. Uh, Adrian's one is like, have a guess of here. There's nine cities. Ah, renowned rugby man. Renowned rugby man who once went to the remembers where games are. Talk about it every week. And the fact that it was. uh, Listen, the fact that it was also asked before, I can't stand too much in judgment here. Uh, Question one from Mick. The closest Ireland have come to qualifying for a major tournament in women's football was in 2008 when they lost the playoff for Euros for the Euros against which team? Slovakia. It is not Slovakia. Anyone? Iceland. Iceland. So Nathan, do you want to? I had the colours right. I kind of did. Yeah. That's uh, good logic there, Mick. Vague memory. Yeah. Uh, round two is the past the parcel of doom round with a twist round. Let me just say the difference in the standard of the, the Nathan's question and my question there is. Well, both of our questions. Well, you're from Clare. You're from Clare. But everyone knows they won it in '92. It's the only. No, they don't. Oh, they do. You knew. Says everything. <laughs> wow! Wowie! It's, uh, it's, uh, wow, wow, there wow. we go. It is uh, nine twenty-four. People are very much in their breakfast mood still. Um, we are so we're bringing back the past parcel of doom round with a twist round. This is columns round uh, with years and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I'm going to give you a year. All you got to do is name the winners and runners up of the competitions that are attached to the year that I give you. So Adrian, your first up, your year is 2021. Can you name the winners Hardest and runners year. up of the Six Nations? The Leinster Hurling Championship and women's lightweight boxing at the Olympic Games. 
2021. So you want the winners of each of those? And the runners-up. Of all three categories? All three. Ah, own. Uh, what, what's six points the? on the go here, is there? Mm. Oh, is there? Okay. What? Six points. Uh, France, Six Nations. And who's runner-up? Um... I need I need a pair of answers for each one, please. So for no, no, but you need one six points, so one point per correct answer, of course. No, it's one point for. Ah, one listen, point for I mean, up. I know that when you're staring at the ceiling, that you're making this up as you go along, but there has to be a point per <laughs> correct answer, surely. Oh, who was it? Um, we had a chance, and a very outside chance of winning that on the last weekend. So I'll go with ourselves. No, you're wrong. Uh, Wales won it. You don't remember Wales winning the no. Six Nations last year after we slid them off at the start of the Six Nations they went on oh, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. and France oh yeah she's the most ridiculous Six Nations of all time yeah. absolutely so Leinster Hurling winners runners up please um, the winners were bum, 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 bum. Kilkenny yeah and your runner up was like was it the obvious again last year did they meet before that um, oh listen I really don't know so I'm going to go with Wexford no but you got me anyway just just, uh, to give Adrian a bit more time to think about the last one which he's never going to get um, (laughs) this is the most ridiculous round we've had so far this was a great round the past the parcel of doom was unanimously welcomed unfortunately Nathan no we don't this is this is a new take on that yeah that that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He's, a, he's arguing it's with you that we don't have it, even though you just said we did. And I do. Round three, it round, you. round three is the past the parcel of Doom round. This is the past the parcel of Doom round with a twist round. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Come on. Very different things. Um, Lightweight boxing, women's boxing, Tokyo 2021, winner, runner-up, please. Um, <laughs> Come on. We really Kelly Harrington and Kelly right. Harrington. Well, Kelly Harrington's correct. So you get, you get two points out Sophia of that. Sophia Achigava. No, so it wasn't Achigava. No, you're uh, getting your games mixed up there potentially. Uh, Beatrice Ferreira was who she beat. Two goals. Okay, Nathan, your year is 1991. Can you name the winners and runners up of the old First Division, the All Ireland Hurling Championship, and the Masters, please? Oh my God. What were the three? First Division, Hurling, Masters. All Ireland hurling. All Ireland hurling. Uh, Nathan, do you want to start with the first division, or do you want to start the runner-up? Well, you, you can take us through positions <laughs> ten to seven to begin with, and then what are you writing down? What are you I'm writing up? down? The I'm writing down the three things I have to. Well, 1991 first division. Yeah. Um, 1990. Please Arsenal. Who came second? Oh, 1991. Aston Villa. No, it was Liverpool. Hurling All Ireland Champions runners up, 1991. Jesus, Premier League commentator. No, that makes <laughs> well, it was pre Premier League. Yeah, no. Football was only in Pre Premier League. That's true. Premier League. Um, the Masters won it so hard. No the reason. runner up in the Masters in 1991. <laughs> Don Juggan would get would be there all day long though. Like he would though, yeah. Um, hurling 1991. I'm going to go. <laughs> Tipperary. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and who, who, who lost the final? Who lost the finals? Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, Tipperary beat. Kilkenny. Ah, here! 
<laughs> if you say Kilkenny for one of those answers. Your three, you your three from four so far. Masters now, Nathan. Uh, this is a specialist round, is it? John Duggan will be twirling in his office chair if you get this wrong. I can't get this. Ian Wisnam? Correct. Ah, oh, good shout. And who came second? Good. Uh, As have all your answers so far. Uh, not that. Uh, you got woos them. Come on. Five. Arsenal. Four. Three. Uh, two. Nick Faldo. No. It was a lot of battle in 1991. He came second to Ian Woosman. But a good showing. You got, what was it, four there. So you're at five points. Mick, your year is 1998. Can you name the winners and runners up of the World Cup Golden Boot, the Champions League, and the Super Bowl? So is this This is the, like February 98 Yeah As in the 97 the, the season thing, The thing that took place In 1998 Yeah So can I start With the Super Bowl You can of course um, Denver beat Green Bay Correct The Champions League Was Real Madrid Beat Juventus Correct And the World Cup Golden Boot Was won by Suker. Oh, he got it. Who came second? Ronaldo. No. Almost perfect. Uh, There was a tie for second place between Batistuta and uh, Christian Vieri in the 1998 World Cup. Fair enough. Uh, Mick got five uh, there, so you're five all with Nathan at the moment. Adrian in uh, third place. Just to be clear, I got something that happened 31 years ago. Adrian got one that happened last year. (laughs) I find the last year hard. Introduce (laughs) the next round. I I would agree with that, Mick. Round three is the pass the parcel of doom round. In this round, all you got to do is give me the name of uh, uh, that's on a list of names. Uh, I have and then the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant We've lost then also has to give me a name Nathan has disappeared from his seat but he will be back I carry on carry on on if he's not there he's moving through a list until one of you gives me an incorrect answer it's like the ball being thrown in in that court game uh, absence (laughs) equals an incorrect answer question three Adrian uh, can you kick us off here can you name someone who managed in this year's Talton Cup Um, I can Um, John Mohan John Mohan is correct it goes to Nathan next What's the question? Ah, uh, no, you're not there. You're not there. You didn't hear it. You didn't no. hear it. No. Can you name someone who managed in this year's Talton Cup? How many answers have we had? One. Uh, Andy Morn. Correct. Mickey Graham. Mickey Graham is correct. Tony McEntee. Yeah. Ooh, good answer. No, that's wrong. Ender <laughs> uh, McGinley. Correct. Oh, good shout. They get hard um, in a couple of names time, I think. I can't think of any counties. Okay, we'll have to move uh, on. Come on, Owen, shift no, us on here, come on. No, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm gone. You're gone? Yeah. You're out? Yeah. Nick is gone. Jack Cooney. Jack Cooney is correct. Nathan? Mickey Hart. No. No. Oh, Adrian That's gets the point. <laughs> oh, Close to the guy. Billy Sheehan? Billy Sheehan was not oh, wrong. Billy Sheehan. Niall Carew 
Uh, Alan Costello and Gary Duffy were joint managing Wicklow. Kieran Donnelly of Fermanagh, Ethan Fitzgerald of Waterford, Michael Maher of London, James McCartan of Down, Johnny McGinney of New York, Billy O'Loughlin of Wicklow, uh, David Power of Tip, Shane Roach of Wexford, and Billy Sheehan, as you said, of Leash. <sighs> Nathan, you're kicking us off in this one. Round. Can you name a player who is in the top 15 most expensive football signings, sorry, top 20 football signings of all time, according to Transfer Market? Is this like a one-off signing or accumulated? Uh, one-off. So there are repeat. There are a couple of repeat. There's only 17 yeah. options in this in the top 20. Paul Pogba. Correct. <laughs> um, I'm completely blank here. Uh, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Cristiano. He appeared twice, yeah. Bale. Bale is correct. Coutinho. Yeah. Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish is correct. Wow. Um, Haaland is not correct oh crap how much was Haaland 60 I mean these clearly aren't adding on fees onto transfer market but um, I can only go with what's uh, I, just, I, just, need, I just needed to know what the cut off was there <laughs> <laughs> you would have expected him to be there to be fair Joao Felix yeah Joao Felix is correct um, Nunes Nunez is not there. Is he not? No, Nathan wins what the point. What price was he? 80 million? He's like number 24 or something on the list, just below it. So the ones oh. he didn't get were De Jong, De Ligt, Ousmane Dembele, Griezmann, Hazard, Higuain, Lukaku was there twice, Maguire, Lukaku. Mbappe, Maguire. Neymar is there twice, and Jaden Sancho. Mick, you can kick us off for this one. Okay. Can you name a city that hosted a game at the 2002 World Cup? Uh, should we say Tokyo? Out straight away. Whoa! What? Oh, one of the greatest answers of all time. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love the way, games. by the way, you were just like, well, I just tapped that one in. Anyway. Well, I just said, I don't know, so I haven't had a chance. To, when you're up first, you don't have the chance oh, to think about the question. Wow. Adrian, you're next up. Soul. <laughs> Soul is correct. Ooh, some music. Nathan? <laughs> Ibaraki. Ibaraki, yeah. Um, uh, are you. Ibaraki isn't on my list here. Oh, whoa, I got Oh, it probably did host the game. I mean, that's where Robbie Keane scored. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Tokyo must have hosted the game. For God's sake, like, are you sure your list is right? It is right, yeah. Um, continue on. Well, um, no, no, let's no, no, let's continue nothing until we establish the facts here. No, I mean, I, I saw the the map of various things just this morning. <laughs> Why were there no games in Tokyo? Did you see any interesting <laughs> trivia surrounding that? Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, Ibaraki is, uh, is where Robbie Keane scored his goal. It is. It is. And it isn't on the list of host cities. Um, I'm not I'm sure Ibaraki is a city. And not like a. Ooh. Like that. You're saying it's like. Uh, is it in yes. Tokyo? Yes, you're dead right. Ibaraki is a prefecture. Oh, he's out! He is out. Champion! Yeah, oh, what sorry. the hell's a prefecture? <laughs> it's like sorry. a problem. That's, yeah, not yeah, That's not a city. That's not a city. How many cities are there today? Tough shit, Paddy. Yeah, it's uh, Kashima. Tell me right now how many cities there are. I, I have. I have twenty. By, by the way, sorry, a second. My points are sure in the all bag. All twenty right? of them are cities. You're sure all twenty of them are cities and not prefectures? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's confident in his information. You don't need to be second guessing him. Here, uh, here. before I say anything, my points are in the bag. 
I am. No, I am. No, 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 no. Yes. It's not here. Ibaraki. It's not a city. It's not an answer. Oh, my points are in the bag. Oh, Your so points are in the bag. Yes. Goals. Put them Where did Robbie Keane score his goal? It was in a different city. It was in the city of... Ibaraki is a prefecture. Kashima yeah. is a city located in, in Ibaraki Prefecture. What city is the Stade de France in and you say Saint-Denis? That's right. Then you have Ibaraki yeah. Stadium. It wouldn't be the answer to what city it's is in. Is Inchuan uh, one of the answers? It, it was, absolutely. Busan, Daegu, uh, Daejeon, Gwangju, sure He has Incheon. no idea whether these are cities or prefectures. Kashima, <laughs> <laughs> Kobe, Miyagi, Niigata, uh, Oita, Osaka, Saitama, Sapporo. Siogwipo, Shizuoka, Jesus. Suwon, Ulsan, and Yokohama. Yeah. God, suddenly, so, the, suddenly the power of the cup. Adrian has closed the gap. No, I'm yeah. I have, in Japan for the last World Cup. You don't I, even know what's a city, what's a prefect. I have, uh, I do. And prefect. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I managed to get to the correct uh, eventuality there in the end. Nathan, you were wrong. I apologize. Adrian, you've picked up two points there. You've got to notice a surprise to your voice there, but I mean, you should be an impartial adjudicator, but I accept. That. You're on four points. Mick is on five points. Nathan's on six points. I find that the key here is just to pretend that you know what you're talking about and then just power on. So I'm 100% sure that everything there was a totally above board. Great. Round four is the fun-free magic number round. Contestants oh, get yeah, three points for getting the number exactly right. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. Again, I'm going to say that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper. I'm also going to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. <coughs> the number of goals the Ireland women's national team scored against Georgia in their last meeting plus the number of Ireland's men's FIFA world ranking position after the latest update you always do this and nobody knows plus the number of times Chris Froome has won the Tour de France plus the number of times a county has completed a double in GEA by winning both the hurling and football All-Irelands in the same year your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings bright shiny beads There's a couple of those that are just haymakers, aren't there? Ireland's men's team, you said. Ireland's men's team. Are you sure you're not looking for the women's team? Probably a better question if you want to go for that. (laughs) Um, uh, What's the answer to that? 27. Who do we play? It's kind of a game, didn't we? It's got to be a positive. It's got to be a positive. God. What have we got? Nick? 61. 61. 62. 62. Nathan? 50. 50. The answer is 66. Yes! Oh Get God, in! Are you kidding me? <laughs> End it now. <laughs> this truly is the Tatsu Cup. Blow it up, breath. Blow it up. In an extraordinary twist, we're all on six points. Uh, the number of goals the Ireland women's national team scored against Georgia was 11. Ireland are ranked 47th in the world. Ah, ah here. 44. That's a disgrace. I thought we were Did we drop one? We were 46, sorry. Chris Froome has Scotland. won the... We should have been flying up. Chris Froome has won the Tour de France four times. Yeah, got that. And double got his arse right. Double must have been done loads of times, was it? Double four times. Cork 1990 uh, and 1890, yeah. Tip 1900 and 1895. And uh, wow. that brings your total to 66. We tossed a coin beforehand, and Adrian gets to go first. Uh, <laughs> between, uh, Nathan and Mick <laughs> gets to go second. Three way coin. Three way coin. Say it with confidence and keep going. Yeah, Adrian, Adrian won the coin toss. Why can't we do a live? Mick came second in the coin toss, and Nathan came third in the coin toss. So. 
three Sorry, light touches. Uh, you have to do three light We move two on two to the final. Touches. Picked it landing sideways. Our winner tonight will be decided in the no team are particularly ridiculous easy rapid fire round. I mean, after all the talk about uh, OPHD and Don Jogan earlier, it would well, be quite something if uh, and, <laughs> the you know, the, the, I think that's the, a very fair the, point. The Don't add him, certainly. Gre- Greg, who, who pointed out on our YouTube comments a few weeks ago that, you know, I don't bring the brains, I just bring the comedy, which, to be fair, as I've said before, is very generous of him in all accounts. I mean, I'm here, I'm here for you. This is going to get done now. Yeah. You're not even leading. Um, I, am in a, I am in a tie for the lead, absolutely. I wonder, I wonder tonight will be decided in the no team of particular ridiculous easy rapid fire round. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I do think Nathan was a bit screwed over in the Ibaraki, but we'll come back to that maybe some other oh, time. He was not. Oh, and don't be opening that door for people. Jesus. I've been like, I've been Googling on the side here for quite some time. Don't be, don't worry about that. Don't, don't, don't be 40 seconds getting old. Don't worry about the same set of questions. Uh, we're going to start with the person with the highest number of points, which is Adrian, then onto the person with the second number of points, which is Nick, and then onto the person. We all say my points, but you've just made up that Adrian's So. Nathan, or oh, sorry, Adrian. I hear you, Nathan. <laughs> Are you ready? I have never been more ready. Okay, your forty seconds starts now. Megan Campbell plays for what club? Mm, Liverpool. Correct. Who was the women's champion at Wimbledon? Zvonareva. Uh, no, Ash Barty. What, nation- <laughs> what nationality is Darwin Nunez? Uh, Mick. Uruguayan. Correct. Name either of the golfers who came second at the U.S. Open last week. Uh, uh, Scheffler. Correct. Name Lewis Hamilton's teammate. Russell Correct Name the Burnley manager uh, Company Correct Goalkeeper Nick Pope Signed for which club this Newcastle week? Correct Connor Nash plays for what AFL club Essendon No Hawthorne What club did Southampton Sign Sadio Mane from in 2014 Nathan Salzburg Correct Daniel Whiffen represents oh. Ireland In which sport <laughs> Sorry What a load of bollocks So we all end up in the same amount Music of points Music Because you've done some imaginary Music This does not count as a loss for me at all oh, it does. Four I didn't in get a row I didn't Four get in a row And Ibaraki was clearly correct So I should have been going first Got those la, 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 la. Prefecture It's a prefecture It's like a county It's an area less. It's not a city. You can't just make it up. You can't. You can't decide a quiz on an imaginary coin toss. It's either a city or it's what not. What you've just done. What happened Where's to your the? Grace? Tell us how many caps. How many caps somebody had? No, this is. A Every time I win this quiz, own all I get is moaning from other people. Like, you didn't I didn't win it. Iraqi, Japanese, a Japanese, Japanese prefecture bordering the Pacific Ocean, northwest, northwest of Tokyo. That. Look, you win he games all kinds of way. I wasn't at my best today, and right I still pulled Barry. it out. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. We all ended up with six points. I shouting. We all ended up with. We all ended up with six points, and then an imaginary coin toss. You need to find a way of doing a proper quiz. I did well in the rapid something. fire round. Come I on. think I think that was a really good quiz, guys. Thanks for taking Great part. Great quiz on, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, undefeated. 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 ODBAM has been brought to you live each morning this week by Gillette Lab for an effortless finish to your day. We are back on Monday morning. Is he gone? Is he that even threw the headphones down? He's like, watch your man. He's gone. Watch your man's Toto Wolf. Look at him. Just look at the face on Nathan. I mean, absolutely devastated. Jarrah's back on Monday morning, by the way. We'll have the reactions to the Ireland football quarterfinals. We look ahead to Ireland against Georgia on Monday night and the Gillette Labs performance rankings are coming your way as well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.